Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, be sure to drop by the Discord server. Isabella has generated her first ever trivia quiz, and it's all about the location of moles on Daddy's back. No, I'm kidding. So, um, yeah, drop by 5 p.m. Eastern. That's tomorrow. And don't forget, end of the month, that's the 31st. I have my debate with rationality rules. Woodward, I think his name is. I can't remember his first name, but um, yeah, we're going to have... Uh, I think it's going to be good. <clears throat> Maybe a bit of a knockdown drag out um, because uh, we've... Uh, I guess we've tangled in the past. He's made a, made a bunch of videos going after me. I've made some rebuttals, and uh, I think his new one is called Molyneux's Humean Suicide. So <laughs> I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite lit, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. And again, if you have other people that you want me to debate, I would certainly... Uh, like to do that so feel free to let me know about all of that and i suppose without any further ado we can uh go on with the show james do you have a question to start and uh, do you want to read it do listeners read it how should we go all right well uh i will read off the listener's question and uh it's a bit of a bit of a challenge so we'll see how this goes today so, hey, Steph, the listener writes, I've heard you say multiple times, mostly in a relationship context, that women are, quote, delightfully incomprehensible. I'd like it if you could fully explain and flesh out what you, flesh out what you mean by that, and more specifically, what you mean by incomprehensible. I was honestly surprised to hear you use that phrase since listening to you has made me much more capable of understanding women and others in general. I'm sure we're on or close to the same page, but that phrase kind of irked me and I think it might give an impression to some people about relationships that could be harmful to them. Anyway, I'd love it if you could explain what you mean, and maybe I can offer some pushback if I find I still have any afterwards. Thanks. That's a great question. It's a great question. And um, let me just sort of start off by figuring out where we are with regards to uh, that old Jimi Hendrix question, are you experienced? Uh, so if you could tell me a little bit about your history with the fairer sex, I would, I would really appreciate that. Uh, with like relationships. Sure. Um, so I've been in two relationships. Um, one was about five months and the other one was around five years. Okay. And what happened to those two relationships? Why did they end? Um, the first one was, I was sort of in it to, experience a relationship not really because of who it was and so that kind of uh you know crashed and burned a bit and i just wasn't comfortable like talking about things or opening up or anything um and we just had different values and we're just kind of too different so that's how that one went and then the second one was um that was much better relationship. Uh, we were much uh, more similar values and uh, much more uh, similar personality wise. And um, uh, so to sort of go with how that went, I've uh, a little bit of backstory is I've had a chronic illness for the past, like kind of started when I was like 12, 13, but um really kicked up when I a few months after starting dating dating her the second girl and so pretty much that whole 
relationship, I was um, severely debilitated, not really able to work, not able to do a lot, do a lot of things. Um, and so that there is some conflict with that, not really conflict, more of just a lot of stress and a lot of pressure put on her and stuff. And so she uh, basically ended up ending it because it was kind of too much for her. And um, what was the illness? Um, it's uh, severe chronic fatigue. So basically, there's not really, they don't really know why. Um, oh, is this, uh, sorry, is this along the lines of Epstein-Barr or I guess they call it CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, right? Yes, yeah. And it started when you were 12 or 13. If you could tell me a little bit about that ailment, uh, it's something I know a little bit about, but I'm not sure what the latest researchers they haven't found a particular cause is that right um there's a bunch of different potential causes some like viral causes um a, a stress shock can kind of cause it um uh toxins so it's kind of a catch-all phrase that's basically like hey you have this symptom of chronic fatigue but we have no idea why you have it did you experience any kind of stress shock at 12 or 13? Um, yeah, I've thought about it, and I think it was my grandfather dying. Um, he was my best friend and pretty much my only friend, and I was being kind of bullied in school and stuff. And so he died pretty suddenly over like um, three weeks, and I never even got to see him in hospital or anything, and just poof, he was gone. So I think that was kind of what started it. I'm so sorry. That's a, it's a terrible situation. Um, why yeah, was he thanks. your only friend, do you think? Um, I don't particularly know why. I, was, I had a friend from childhood, um, but then he went into English and I went into French immersion, and so we kind of fell out of uh, touch. Um, but I was also, also always a bit of a misfit and kind of a bit of an outcast and was always very, felt very different from other people in school. And so, yeah, I didn't really connect with people very well. And what about your mother and father? Um, what do you mean? What about them? Well, I mean, since you count a family member as a friend as in your grandfather, that excludes your mother and your father from the aforementioned friendship thing. Right, yeah. Um, my dad I've never really been that close to. He's been more sort of um, distant. He used to work a lot and um, uh, just not really be all that close with us. Um, and my mother, I was kind of... I was really, I, I don't know, really close. Uh, but the terms, I, I would have said I was really close with her back then if I, you know, before learning about a bunch of stuff. But, uh, uh, but then um, that sort of fell down and I kind of pulled back from her when I was uh, kind of going through puberty. Sorry, I don't quite follow that. If you could give me some more detail on that, I didn't quite follow that part. Um, 
Well, I used to talk to her about a lot of stuff when I was like a younger kid, like before puberty. And then um, when I kind of hit puberty, um, I'm not sure if this is like right before my grandfather died or if it was after when I was more depressed and stuff um, or started feeling depressed and was being bullied um, that I pulled pulled away from her and stopped kind of talking to her about a lot of stuff. Did she know you were being bullied? Uh, I don't think anyone knew. Uh, like, I didn't to- tell anyone, so... I mean, they should have known, but... Why didn't you tell your mom? I didn't... I don't know, like, I, it didn't, it wasn't, like, from what I saw, like, I didn't, uh, it didn't, it wasn't, like, completely archetypal bullying, so I just sort of, in my head, I was like, oh, this isn't bullying, this is, you know, not great, but it's not, like, archetypal bullying, so it's not really bullying. So I didn't really say anything about it. I mean, I was also um, feeling um, depressed and and whatnot. How did you? How did the bullying mani- bullying start and manifest? Um, it was basically people just like not wanting me around. Like when you're at school, I mean, during um, uh, recess and lunchtime and stuff i mean if you're just kind of hanging out on your own it's pretty lonely and it's kind of like loser town and so i sort of like try to incorporate myself into a group of people but they really didn't um seem to want me around and uh, and um then there's one guy who like just straight up like seemed to hate me and was always like why are you doing here like get the hell out of here like like you're so annoying or I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically just like, get the hell out of here. Like, why are you here? Nobody wants you here. And was that different from when you were younger? Oh yeah. Yeah. I used to get along fairly well with other people when I was younger and, and whatnot. So then I guess the question is, do you know what might have changed? This was all around, you said 12 or so, is that right? Yeah. And what do you think might have changed? I don't really know. I mean, like, I was, I've always been, like, friendly and, like, able to be friendly and to, and to sort of have people generally be friendly towards me, but I've never had, like, been able to, make like strong friends that you know ask me to come hang out with them after school or or want me as part of their friend group i mean it's always just kind of been like oh friendly like pleasant interactions but not really like anything more than that and so i didn't have like a, a strong friend group or like anything when i went to middle school and then just kind of tried to sort of uh, be a bit of a hanger on to to the, this group 
Right. Okay. And so you didn't have a lot of social skills when you were younger, but it became more explicit around 12. Is that right? Social skills? Yeah. In terms of like just getting into a group and, and maintaining friends and friendships and so on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what were your mom and dad's social skills like? Um, they never really had many friends that I, I knew of. Um, there's one who's like my aunt who is just a family friend. Um, and then, but yeah, they never really had many friends. My dad, probably most of... Sorry, kind of, I just, I, I have to always ask people to be specific about this. Yeah. Because there's very few people who have many friends. And, and in general, I view the many friends as a giant warning flag for <laughs> people. No, seriously. Right? Yeah. Because it's like everybody has this fantasy of like this, this beer commercial, you know, I, me and my 50 closest friends. It's like, you don't have 50 closest friends. You don't have yeah. <laughs> anybody who's got more than a couple of closest friends is usually bullshitting. Yeah. I mean, there's time constraints, and, and you, you, know, you may have them when you're younger, and you know, time is your friend. When you get older, you get a career, you get kids. You, I mean, you're busy. Man, you're busy. You know, friendship is a warm-up for family to a large degree, and of course, you can still maintain your friendships, and it's a good thing to do so, and I'm still friends with people I've known 30 years ago, more, in fact. But you yeah, just don't have a lot of time when you, when you get older. Friendship is um, it's a warm-up. And it's a side dish in the great central relationship of life, which is wife and children, husband and children, and so on. So when you say, my parents didn't have a lot of close friends, that doesn't explain anything to me, because I assume that nobody has any close friends, and you wouldn't know that from just talking to me until I explained that. But that's why I sort of say, yeah, okay, so I think the best people in the world, the best friends in the world don't have a lot of close friends. So when you say, my parents didn't have a lot of social skills, they didn't have a lot of close friends, it's like, yeah, nobody has a lot of close friends. Uh, you can have acquaintances, right. you can have uh, contacts, you can have, you know, lots of people in your Rolodex. Boy, there's an old reference for these days. But, um, but as far as actually having uh, friendships, that to me is the, the maximum. Is If you have more friends than you have fingers and thumbs, uh, the, the quality tends to decline significantly from there. So... I guess it's a long way of saying, did your parents have any friends? Um, just the one, just the aunt. That's, that's basically... No, 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 no. Family doesn't count. <laughs> family doesn't count. Oh, no, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't family. That's what I called her. It was oh, you're serious. You called your aunt. aunt. But a yeah, family friend, yeah. And was this someone that your mom grew up with or your dad? Mom, I guess. Uh, it was my mom's friend. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't think they grew up together. I think they met in their like, 20s or something. And what's the story about your aunt? Like, how did she have time for a friendship of this kind? Did she not have a family of her own, or was it something like that? No, she doesn't, she doesn't have a family of her own. Um, ah, she, you see? That's how friendships last when you get older. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, yeah. one person is the eunuch. One person is that, like, water for chocolate, Guatemalan youngest kid who has to stick around uh, and take care of the elderly like so to have a friend like one person can have a family and then the other person usually can't if you're going to try and maintain these kinds of friendships right right yeah yeah and she, she like, kind of had no life down, right yeah she lived downstairs and and whatnot too so 
Oh, that's interesting. So did your mother, did you know, did your mother ever sort of encourage her to, you know, like, hey, this is all well and good that you're friends with my family, but you all ever think of getting your own or? Uh, to my knowledge, she didn't. But I, I didn't ask. I haven't asked that specifically. No, but you would have probably heard it at some point, right? Um, yeah, well, I didn't hear it, so. <laughs> right. So that tells me something about your mom. In fact, all it right. tells me quite a lot about your mom. So what it tells me about your mom is that she has trouble seeing things from the other person's point of view, right? Because you said earlier, and again, I'm not sort of trying to catch you out or anything. Yeah, because you said earlier she should have known that I was being bullied, right? But she didn't, right? And, you know, if, if you're enjoying your family life and you have a friend, your aunt, right, the person who's living downstairs who doesn't have a family life, it should be pretty important for you to try and figure out what you can do to help that person achieve all of the good things that you've been able to achieve, right? I think it's a reasonable thing, a reasonable thing to do. Yep. It's a good thing to do, right? If you care about your friend, you should say, hey, mm-hmm. you're kind of living a lonely life. It's not enough just to hang around my family. You got to get your own family, right? Yeah, definitely. But she didn't. Nope. So that generally means to me that somebody is focusing only on their own needs in a relationship and not the needs of another person. Uh, yep, that uh, sounds exactly right. Right, which is why you're asking how on earth can women be comprehensible or incomprehensible, right? This is, right, this aspect of things. But your dad, he didn't have any friends? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just like work acquaintances and maybe a guy he knew that he saw like once every few months or six months or whatever. So I wouldn't say that that's really a friend. Yeah, that's the uh, the orbiter that has you at least say, hey, I've got a friend, even if it's not really much of a friendship, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty okay. much, yeah. All right. And are your parents still together? Yes, they are, yeah. Can you think of a time in your childhood when your parents put their own needs or preferences aside and focused on what you needed, what was good for you, what was important to you? Hmm. Not particularly, no. Uh, you would remember. Yeah, definitely more with my mom. She not, uh, I neither with my dad, yeah, no. So over the 18-year period that you were a child under your parents' care, you don't really have any memories. And you would, because it would be such an unusual thing. You would really notice it. You'd really feel it. So you don't have any memories of them focusing on your needs and preferences. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the expense of their own, but... um, Independent of of their needs or preferences, right? Yeah, I mean, I've always... Or not always felt, but since kind of learning learning self-knowledge and whatnot, I've felt like my mom had kids because she wanted to and and because she wanted to get something from having kids and rather than like having kids to um, give us something and to you know have us uh, have something from her right okay okay so kids like an accessory or kids like this is what you do or kids like uh but not kids because like i'm really interested in getting to know my kids yeah, like kids, kids probably, and and that's what you do. But also, like 
that she would get some positive emotion from having had kids or having, you know, whatever. Well, no, but see, I mean, that's the complicated things about self-interest, right? Is that I certainly wouldn't want my daughter to think I don't have positive emotions from having children, right? Oh, no, of course. I'm just saying more that that was like the primary or the only thing to think about. Like when I think about having kids, it's because I want to have positive emotion, but I also want to like give them and have and, and create life and give that life the best possible life possible and and um, and 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 give uh, great people to the world like that's that's added on to obviously the positive emotions I think I'd feel and did your granddad ever notice that something was awry in this area I'm not sure I mean one of the things that like I I have always had a very positive view of my grandfather but um after thinking about things um he and my mom were close and Uh, i mean if she doesn't think about needs other than her own that's like a personality trait right yeah i mean i'm just going by because she was really like um emotional over his passing and um, said that he helped her out a lot in the past and, and all this kind of stuff. And she said that they were close and she loved him very much. Okay, but were they close? In other words, did, because this is important, like, did, did your mother have the capacity for intimate relationships, which she then denied to you, or does she not have the capacity? For, you can't have your mom be close to you without her being incredibly mean to you. In other words, she has the capacity to be close. She just doesn't really want to do it with you. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't think she has the capacity for true closeness. I mean, I was what is what is of... untrue closeness or false closeness? You're you're Mister Hedge here, and I'm not oh, trying yeah. to drag you into the <laughs> land of absolutes. I'm just sort of trying to understand what you mean. Yeah, just kind of like the normie definition of close, or you know, not like actual, like, um, like a friendship I have now, where we talk about we can talk about pretty much anything and we we're very close and and um our lives are intertwined and um that we've helped each other a lot through various obstacles and issues and we put uh each other's needs before our own when it's necessary and when it's um like when it's the right time to do so and all that okay so your mother was not close to your father your grandfather, uh, sorry, her father. No, I would say not then. Okay, so uh, is that a big change from what you thought before? Um, no, not really. Because it's a big change from what you told me about five minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, like, again, I was going by the kind of previous sort of definition. <laughs> Like the sort of, if she would like she was saying that that they were close or you know I know I know she would definitely say oh yeah I was so close with him and all oh that. yeah okay but I mean that's what you know people say a lot of stuff right we're, we're philosophers so we shouldn't take too seriously what people merely say right right yeah okay all right okay so we're we're lost in fogland at the moment and. 
that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. So you've given me a lot of contradictory information, and that's fine, but you don't seem to be aware of it which is to me kind of a sign of being down or depressed or whatever it is, right? Like you could just contradict yourself all over the place. And I'll just give you some examples. And I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not criticizing you. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you the empirical evidence in the conversation, right? Because I kind of got to shake you out of this if we're going to have a productive conversation because you're just kind of leading me around a real foggy maze here. And again, I'm not saying you're doing it intentionally or, or being mean or anything, but that... Uh, you know, you were close to your grandfather, but your grandfather didn't really teach you any social skills. You were close to your grandfather, but your grandfather didn't know that your mom wasn't close to you. Your mom says she was close to your grandfather, but she wasn't, in fact, close to your grandfather. You you say your parents have a few good friends, and it turns out that they don't. There was one kind of hanger-on that your mother exploited, sucked dry like an emotional vampire and so on. And, you know, your mom was close to your grandfather, but she really wasn't because she can't. Like, you understand, I'm just going round and round here. Everything is contradicting itself. and none of this seems to be landing on you as a fact that they're contradicting themselves, which is why I asked, does this seem like a big change for you? Like if you say, you said my mom was close to her dad and I, we examined that for a minute or two. And then it turned out that your mom wasn't close to her dad. And I said, is that a big change? And you're like, no. And I'm like, but it's a big change from what you told me five minutes ago where you said she was close to her dad and you didn't seem to notice that either. So I don't know what the hell we're talking about here. Like we're just wandering through this fog where everything changes, it contradicts, and nothing means anything, and there's no truth. And, and where things contradict themselves, you either don't notice or don't care. And again, I, I know this sounds mean. I'm really not. I'm not mad or anything like that. It's just there's not a conversation yet. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I don't entirely agree. Okay, no, listen, listen, tell me where I'm wrong. Uh, Tell me where I'm wrong. I'm certainly happy to be corrected. Well, I can see some of the contradictions there. um, But I think a lot of it was I was just using a different or like a wrong definition. Like I've updated my definition of close now where like I wouldn't say that my, my relationship with my parents is close. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I was, you know, saying, well, if I went from my standard of definition back then it would have been i would have called it close but now i wouldn't say that it was close and that kind of stuff your definition back when like what what time frame are we talking about that the, going back is like five minutes to the quarter century oh, no, or something I mean, right so i mean like a back when like before puberty like when i was like i would have said i was close with my mom but now looking back i know that i wasn't close with her no no but you told me that your mom was close to her dad, right? Um, well, this is a, a father-in-law, I think. So, but yeah. Okay. So, all right. So you said that your mom was close to your father-in-law. And then I pointed out that if she has the capacity for closeness, then she withheld it from you and gave it to your father-in-law, which is kind of mean, right? And then you changed your definition because you didn't want, I guess, to think of your mom as mean. You changed your definition to... Well, I guess she wasn't close. And then I asked you if you noticed the reversal, like a complete redefinition of this relationship and of your mother's character, right? And you didn't even seem to notice that this had gone 180 in a couple of minutes. And again, I'm not, it's not a criticism. I just can't, I, I don't know how to have a conversation with someone who changes definitions and doesn't even notice, if that makes sense. And, and I'm here because I want to help you understand women, right? I mean, or at least 
what I think we can and what we can't understand, because that was the original question. But yeah. it's it's kind of I don't know where we are because you're contra- like you contradict yourself about enormous and fundamental things in the space of a few minutes and either don't notice or don't care. And even when I point it out, don't seem to notice or care. But this is a fundamental reevaluation of your mother. If you say, well, my mother was close to her father-in-law, then she has the capacity for openness, for intimacy, for trust, for positivity, which, you know, I don't do these conversations accidentally, right? So I ask you before that, I know this sounds like I'm some lawyer cross-examining you understand. I don't mean it to be that way. I was telling you my thought, thought process, so hopefully it makes sense. But, um, so when you said that your mother was close to your father-in-law, before that, I asked you if your mother was ever close to you, and you kind of had a hum and a haw, and then it kind of turned out you didn't have a memory of her doing anything that was about you, anything that was not selfish. So then you say, okay, my mother's basically... A selfish person. She own, only thinks about her own needs and relationships. But she was really close to her father-in-law. It's like, well, that, that's a contradiction. That means she's got two personalities. One that is capable of the give and take and openness and honesty of an intimate relationship. And the other one where she just selfishly exploits everyone else. Now, those two things generally don't coexist. Well, they don't coexist. Obviously, the same personality, right? She can't be close to your father-in-law and have no interest in your being bullied, no interest in in your social skills or your emotional development and, and no capacity to intervene with the toxic shock that occurred in your system when your grandfather died. Like she, she can't have, it's like saying my mother doesn't speak Japanese, but she's best friend with a person who only speaks Japanese. I mean, you understand it's completely contradictory. Okay, and if yeah. I'm the only one bothered by these contradictions in your mother, then one of us is not here in the conversation yet, if that makes sense. Right. I, mean, I don't know why I'm bothered. It's your mom. It's your life, right? Yeah. So, why is it so hard to be real about your mom? Well, obviously, I don't want it to be real. Uh, no. Because if you didn't want reality, you wouldn't be calling me, right? Not that I'm the definition of reality, you understand, but I'm certainly going to be real as far as my experience of the conversation goes, right? So you called me because I think you think that I have some capacity to get to the truth of things, which I think I do have that pretty good capacity. It's not flawless, but it's pretty good. So... I mean, that's like someone going up to an airline ticket counter with a visa out saying, I last thing I want is a airplane ticket. It's like, Nope, <laughs> that's not the case. Right. So you have come, I think to get some kind of truth, but there's a part of you that doesn't want the truth. Right. And that part of you is at war with you, the, with the part that does want the truth. Oh yeah. So who suffers in your life? If you get to the truth about the coldness of your mother. I mean, I feel like I do, like in the short term, at least. The long term, I'd probably benefit, but definitely short term, I would suffer. Right. This is how not connected to your mother you are. I asked you who suffers if you realize the coldness of your mother. The correct answer to that is your mother suffers. 
but you only think about it solipsistically, like just in terms of yourself? Yeah, I mean, that was my initial thought. But yeah, I like, I know that she suffers if I realize the truth or, or, you know, if I try to see if I can work things out with her and, and it's not possible and then I, you know, break contact or whatever. Like, obviously, okay. she's so let, let's try this, right? Let's let's try this. You be your mom, and I'll try being you. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So, if I were to sit down with your mom and, and you playing your mom, I would say, you know, mom, I've just been thinking. I don't have a memory of a time in my childhood when you really focused on me. And that's an odd thing. I, mean, I could be misremembering. I could, I don't know, but like I think about when granddad died, didn't really ask me much about it. When, uh, when I was getting bullied horrendously, excluded, yelled at to go away, you and dad never really did anything or noticed or, or talked about it. You know, I got involved in these relationships. You didn't help me. I had this terrible relationship for a couple of months just to practice dating and it was a disaster and then I was in a relationship for five years and it didn't work out and I can't for the life of me remember a time where you sat down and said, hey, how are you? What's going on with you? How can we help you with our age and our wisdom and all this kind of stuff? And it's really, it's just going round and round in my brain. And, you know, it's not a really good thought. It's not a really good feeling, but I wanted to know what, what, you, what you thought about this. Uh, she'd probably say a bunch of different things to that. Probably wouldn't let me finish, but um, like, oh, honey, you know, I ask you how you're doing all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, sure, I, I get that. And, you know, to be frank, Siri can ask me that too. But as far as you sort of just sitting down and, and asking what's going on with me in a sort of very real or detailed way. I mean, did you know that I was bullied in my early teens? Uh, no, I didn't. That's horrible. Why didn't you tell me? Well, that's what I'm talking about. The big question is, why didn't you know? I mean, it certainly had a big effect on my personality, had a big effect on my confidence. And it's also interesting to me, and it actually kind of pisses me off, to be frank, Mom, that the first thing you do is kind of blame me in a way. It's your job as the parent to know these things, isn't it? I mean, I was 11 when it started, maybe 10. So I think if we'd have been close, you'd have known. Or if we'd have been close, I'd have told you, but I didn't. And I think that's kind of a symptom rather than something that's kind of my fault. Like, oh, you do it's your fault because you didn't tell me. Why do you think I didn't tell you? And don't put it on me, because you're the parent, right? Why do you think I didn't tell you? Why couldn't I tell you? Why didn't I not feel comfortable to tell you? And also, why didn't you know? Why didn't you and Dad know? God, it was hell. It went on for years. I don't know. Your father and I have always loved you, and we've always been there for you, and you could have come to us any time and, and told us, and this is really hard to hear and I'm really sorry. Well, hang on, Mom. 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 
This is kind of the problem right here. All right. What's the one thing I asked you just now not to do? Uh, not to put it on you. Yeah, I asked you not to put it on me like I didn't tell you. And what's the one thing you just did? But you didn't tell me. No, I said, please don't put it on me like I just didn't tell you, and that's my fault. And then you said, I could, yeah, you should have just, you could have just told us. Again, putting the onus on me. So I just asked you, like not 35 seconds ago, I just asked you not to put it on me and have me not telling you to be the problem. And then you're like, well, you could have just told us. Did you not hear the part? Well, that's exactly what I asked you not to do. And that it was making me kind of angry that you would immediately pivot to putting the blame on me for not telling you. Did you miss that part? Yeah, but I didn't know. And I like. Wait, what I, do you mean you didn't I, know? I, didn't I, know I, what? Us. Hang on, sorry. Didn't know what? That you're being bullied. Well, that's not. Uh, we. <laughs> yes, we've established that you didn't know. So what's the point of repeating it? My question well, is twofold. Why do you think you didn't know? When it's kind of your job to know, right? What do you mean it's my job to know? It's your job to know. It's your job to know if your 10-year-old goes from being pretty happy to pretty bloody unhappy. It's your job to notice, wouldn't you say? And to try and figure out what's going wrong. I did notice. Oh my gosh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, massive, massive. And what a relief, frankly. Kind of a weight off my shoulders. Um, Okay, so you knew. You knew that I had become unhappy, right? Yes. Okay. So why didn't you talk to me about it or, 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 or find out what's going on? I honestly don't know what she'd say to that. And I would also say, so the first thing, hang on. So here we have a big problem. And listen, a problem is an opportunity. I just want to be honest with you, right, mom? So the first thing you said was, I didn't know basically anything was wrong. And you should have told me, right? That's the first thing you said. Now, the second thing that you said was, I did know that something was wrong. Now, these two statements can't be reconciled, right? So if I have a big stomachache and I don't tell you and I somehow grit my teeth and pretend that I don't, okay, it's kind of vaguely understandable that you might not know I have a stomachache, but obviously I'm still not my natural self. But if I actually lie on the ground holding my belly and groaning in pain, then you know something's wrong, and then you can ask me what's wrong or what's hurting or how can I help or, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So if you notice something was wrong, then your first thing to say to me, why didn't you tell me, is kind of a lie, 
or kind of defensive, which is sort of the same thing, right? Yeah, well, I, I'm happy, but I didn't know you were being bullied. Right. So you knew I was unhappy. And I don't have a memory of you sitting down and really trying to get to the bottom of it. Because I'm 10, right? You understand? You're the adult. I'm just a kid. You know, I'm still closer to babyhood, adult male intellectual maturity, which happens at 25, right? So I'm a 10-year-old. So if I become unhappy, is it my job to figure it out and solve it, or is it your job? No, it's not your job. Okay, good. So you knew I was unhappy, and you knew it was your job to figure it out and fix it, right? If you could, right? Or at least to figure it out, right? Okay. I'm not sure what okay means. You said it was your job, right? So you knew it was your job at the time to figure out why I was unhappy, right? But it was your oh. job to tell me. No, 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 no. Hang on. We just, no. <laughs> well, first of all, you're going back to the one thing without acknowledging that you're going back to it. Attempt to get me to be angry till you can withdraw and not, um, and, and, right? You just said that it was your job to figure out what the problem was, right? Because you were the adult and I was 10 years old, right? It was your yep. job. And did you do your job? No, but I was, that was a really hard time for me, too, and I was depressed, and you know that as well. Wait a minute. Oh, my God, Mom. Do you even know what you're saying? Oh, my God. It's like I can feel this canyon just opening up between us. You see, you... Just gave yourself a giant excuse for many years as to why you didn't ask me why I was unhappy. Just a big, you were depressed, right? You were unhappy. And therefore, you didn't have to engage. You just gave yourself the excuse, right? But you know what you said right at the beginning of this goddamn conversation, Mom? You said to me, why didn't you tell me? Well, do you don't think I was depressed and unhappy about being bullied? In other words, you gave me the moral and relationship responsibility to talk to you while being desperately unhappy when I was 10, Mom. While you give yourself the excuse when you were in your 30s that you were just unhappy and you didn't have to lift a finger. And that's your excuse. How the hell do I not get that excuse when I'm 10, but you get that excuse when you're the parent in your 30s? How do you put the whole weight on me, Mom? My little 10-year-old shoulders. I'm the one who's responsible. And you get this big get-out-of-jail-free card called being unhappy. That's not fair. Come on. You can't blame me at 10 
for not talking to you when I was unhappy, but give yourself a full excuse at 35 for not talking to me because you were unhappy. And here's the thing, Mom. If you were too unhappy to talk to me about why I was unhappy, then you were kind of fundamentally unable to perform the basic duties of motherhood, of parenthood, right? Which is to care for, be close to, and protect your child, right? Now, it's then incumbent upon you to find someone else to perform your duties, right? Like, like, like if you can't feed your child, you don't just let your child starve to death, right? I can't feed my child. I got to go to a food bank. I got to get to welfare. I got to go to a church. I got to go to a charity. I've got to find somebody else who can feed my damn child, right? But they say, well, I was unhappy. Therefore, for pretty much your entire childhood, hang on a second. Pretty much for your entire childhood, I was unhappy, and therefore, I didn't have to interact with my child in a meaningful way or ask questions or because it was my entire child. Were you, were you unhappy my entire childhood? Just like zero to 18, you were just depressed or unhappy and therefore you, you couldn't talk to me because I don't remember one time. One time. Is that what happened? Yeah, she'd be she'd be crying uncontrollably this whole time. So there'd be great. You know, good. Okay, you know, get your get your tears out. Take a deep breath. I can get you a glass of water. I'm not here to make your life hell. I'm not here to insult you. I'm not here to yell at you. You know, take a deep breath. Have a cup of water, because you know when you dissolve into tears. I gotta be honest. Part of me thinks it's bullshit, mom. Because you dissolving into tears makes it all about you again, right? And the whole point here is that I'd like something to be about me. Just once. I'm pretty sure it's humanly possible. So, take a deep breath. Settle down. Have a cup of water. And let's get back to talking about me. Did you know at the time that you were unable parent me to guide me to be curious about me to listen to me to ask me did you know at the time when I was 5 or 10 or 15 you name it did you know at the time because you said now you said well I was depressed therefore I couldn't talk to you I couldn't ask you questions I couldn't be your goddamn parent right because I was depressed did you know that at the time I don't know Sure you do. Of course you do. Like the answer came to you now like that. So at what point in my childhood did you recognize that I was unhappy, but you were too depressed to talk to me about it? Because you had that answer right on the tip of your tongue. You didn't just come up with that now. You must have come up with that at some point in the past. When did you first realize, Mom, that you were too depressed to parent me? 
when I was going through school and I was having a really hard time and, and feeling really bad. And how old were you at that point? Or how old was I? Uh, around 12 or something. Okay, so you knew at 12 that you were not able to parent me. I mean, you could give me shelter, you could give me food, you could take me to the doctor, but as far as actually having a conversation with me, you knew when I was 12 that you weren't doing your job, right? Yes. And why did you never tell me that? You, Mom, who sit here at the beginning of this conversation and say, well, why didn't you just tell me? So I'm turning that right back on you, and it's a goddamn fair thing to do. Why did you never tell me that you were too depressed to parent me? Because you know the harm it did to not know that, Mom? Do you know the harm it has done to me to not know that? Do you know how much I have internalized? Because you never told me that you were too depressed to parent me. That I think I'm not interesting, that I think I'm worthless, that I think I'm forgettable, that I think I'm nothing in a way. Because you never told me that. Because you said earlier, Dad and me, we love you, son. We love you. But how could you love me and keep such an important thing from me that has done me such harm? You owed me the truth, didn't you? And you owe me the truth now, don't you? The truth that in some pretty significant ways as a parent you didn't do your job. You failed. And you didn't fail like, I'm too depressed to parent my child, so I'm going to sit there and say, listen, son, I know you're going through a tough time. I can't deal with it right now. It's not your fault. It's my fault as a mother. I'm not able, and your father is not able to, and we're just not able to step up and do what we need to do, but we're going to find you some help elsewhere. We're going to get to a teacher. We're going to get to a priest. We're going to get to a counselor. We're going to get to someone. So you get the help that you need. Just because we can't feed you doesn't mean you shouldn't starve to death. Doesn't mean you should starve to death. And you've been keeping the secret now for 15 years. And, and it wasn't like things were great until I was 12. So you've been keeping the secret that you failed me and it wasn't my fault. for 20 or so years and you never thought to lift the burden for me and tell me that it wasn't my fault and to apologize to me for not helping me with the bullying and the sickness and granddad's death not teaching me how to have social skills how to get and keep friends how to have a relationship that lasts how to be in love that's It's not, parenting isn't just about birthing and feeding. It's supposed to be a whole teaching situation, right? A whole mentoring situation. A whole 
Getting me ready for life. Right? Getting me ready to go out into the world and and, and you know, and I'm 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 tall and I'm big and I'm strong, but in so many ways I'm as helpless and useless as a newborn. And a lot of that it's not all, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that you and dad didn't do what you needed to do. And you didn't admit that you couldn't do it. And you never released me from the feelings that come from thinking it was all my fault. And then the first thing I say when I the first thing you say when I bring this up is, Well, son, you didn't tell me. It's your fault. You should have told me. It turns out that was a lie. And a very destructive lie. The truth is, I didn't tell you, Mom, because I think deep down I knew that there was no one there to help me. I knew that I was just going to have to bear the fuck down and struggle on alone. I knew that if I asked you, the emptiness of our relationship would be laid bare, would be all too clear. You know that depression is not an excuse. And I know it's not an excuse because you blamed me for not talking to you when you give yourself the infinite excuse of not talking to me called I was depressed. Well, I was certainly depressed as a kid, being bullied and losing granddad and not having a close relationship, yet still you put the onus on me to talk. So... You can't say depression is no excuse for you, son, when you were 10, but it was a perfect excuse for me when I was 35. Come on. Did you just hope I, w I mean, what was the plan? You just hoping I wouldn't notice? Hoping that I wouldn't notice that you failed me for a long time? And some, listen, I, I know what it's like to be depressed. I get it. I understand that. But depression doesn't mean you can't tell the truth. Depression doesn't mean you can't say, I'm too depressed to help you. And therefore, I have to get you someone else who can help you. You know, I wasn't expecting you to do my dentistry because you're not a dentist, right? So if, if I hadn't gotten any dental care when I was a kid, you'd say, hey, man, I'm not a dentist. It's like, no, I know that you're not a dentist. That's why there are dentists. And just because you couldn't help me emotionally doesn't mean there's nobody in our society who couldn't help me. But you wouldn't help me, and you wouldn't get me to anyone who would help me. Why? Why would you not? Why would you not, why would you not do that? So many resources available at the school, the church, the community centers, the government. So many resources available. And you could have said, my son's being bullied. I'm too depressed to help him. Please help my son. Why wouldn't you do that? It's a real question, Mom. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you make sure I got the help I needed?
I I don't I don't know what you'd say to that. I don't. So she'd probably give some non-answer. I didn't know, or there was no one around, or this or that or the other, right? To which she'd just ask, "Okay, well, what did you do to try and find someone?" Right? Did you did you look up any local psychologist? Did you look up? Did you ask the priest? Did you ask community leaders? Did you talk to the teacher and say, "You know, my son seems to be unhappy. I don't think I can really help him. Have you noticed anything in the classroom? Is there anything we can do to get him resources?" Right. And then yeah, like, if your mom went total rubber bones on you, which she, she might do, right? That's a defense mechanism, right? Yeah. Then the rubber bones response for me, and that's kind of what you were doing earlier. That's why I felt I was talking to your mom, not to you, with all these contradictions that you weren't noticing. That's just the same as going rubber bones, right? It's becoming formless so that there's nothing to grab onto if you feel like you're going to be attacked. But the end of the rubber bone situation, I'll just give it real briefly, and then we'll, we will get to your original question, I promise. But this is, uh, this is really important stuff to, to, to get a hold of, I think. Because the end of the rubber bone situation is to say that you did what a lot of people do, Mom. You acted badly. And you crossed your fingers. And I understand why. A lot of parents act badly and they cross their fingers. And they say to themselves, and, you know, I'm not saying it's all conscious, but this is kind of what goes on. They say, well, I'm going to be a pretty bad parent. But it's okay. I'm going to get away with it. Because society says, honor your mother and your father. And society punishes anyone who questions his relationship with his mother or his father. So society will hurt him right back to me. So I don't have to act that well. I'm like a government worker. I can't be fired. So I don't have to be good. So you acted badly. And you just kind of crossed your fingers. I'm going to get away with it. Nothing bad's going to happen. I don't have to act well. I don't have to be good. I don't have to tell the truth. I don't have to own up. I can be my own portal, portable little garden sprayer blame thrower with my child. And if he brings anything up, I can cry. I can say it's his fault. I can manipulate. And he can't fire me. So why on earth do I have to be good at my job? Why would I bother it's hard being good at your job as a parent. It's emotionally uncomfortable, painful. You have to confront things that make you unhappy. You have to be different from how you were raised. Trust me, this me is Steph. I know this one, one inside and out, right? Yeah. But I've privatized the family. I've privatized the family. Why do we have governments? Because the family is socialized. Why do we have tyranny and a lack of choice in the state? Because we have tyranny and a lack of choice in the family. I have privatized the family. I've taken it from the public sector of manipulation and religious edicts and bullying, and I've turned it over to the free market, the market of virtue, the market of honesty, the market, the market of quality. I have privatized the family. 
uh, was from the very beginning. Logic and personal and political liberty was always the name of the show. Personal comes first. And you are no more free than your least free relationship. You have no more choice than your least chosen relationship. You have no more virtue than your least virtuous relationship. You have no more independence than your least independent relationship. Privatizing the family is all that matters and all we can control. And it sucks to be the parents who were bad just as it sucks to be the fat, lazy, entitled bureaucrat when the Soviet Union falls and you suddenly are tossed out under the free market to try and earn your bread by the wits of your mind and the robustness of your labor. Because you've been trained for one environment where you can't be fired and now you're in another environment where you can be fired and it's a little fucking hard to go back and undo everything, isn't it? And that's why you brought up, well, if I examine my relationship with my mother, I don't want to spend time with my mother, right? I get it. That's, it's terrible. It's a terrible situation, and I wish there was another way. But philosophy is relentless. Philosophy is universal. So, <laughs> I would sort of say, well, you could be a lazy bureaucrat because you thought the Soviet Union would never fall. There'd never be a free market. You could be entitled because you never thought I would be given a choice. And it could have been a good dice roll. It could have been a good dice roll. But unfortunately, it just came up snake eyes. It just came up, you know, you, you took a chance. Avoid the pain of history. Parent like you were parented. And uh, it could have actually worked out. But it didn't. Things changed. Events changed. People changed. Society changed. The internet came. The privatization of the family began. And now... It's adapt or don't. It's recognize you made a bad role. You made a bad choice. And grow. Grow with me. I want you to. I do have forgiveness in my heart, but not for dishonesty and continual manipulation. I can forgive the past only if it's not the same as the present. I can forgive some of the laziness, and it was laziness, to say, oh, I'm depressed, therefore I don't have to, and nobody has to deal with my son. This has given me an enormous liability in this world. And it was your job to make sure your child was raised, and if you couldn't do it, you needed to find someone who could. And you didn't. And I can forgive all of that. But I'll tell you this, Mom, I'll tell you this so you are 100% crystal clear that if you pull any of this bullshit like you did in the past, it is not going to work out well. I know it's a big ask, because you've got a lot of experience with this kind of manipulation. 
with blaming me explicitly when I explicitly ask you not to blame me, you continue to blame me, and then you give massive excuses to yourself for exactly the same situation. I know it's going to be hard to learn this. There is forgiveness within me, but not, not if there's a repetition of the same behavior that caused the problems in the first place. No, 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 no. If you continue to do that stuff, that is going to go very badly indeed. So I'm begging you. Just think before you speak. Be real, be honest. I don't mind if there's slip-ups, but when I point them out, you need to catch yourself. Because you've had your life and you've made your choices, Mom, and I must make mine. And I cannot live with the burden that you inflicted upon me. I can't have a life the way that you had a life. Well, I don't want a life the way that you had a life. So that's what I need. Just a commitment to be honest. To be honest. And to work at it. Can we at least try? Do you want to hear a response to that? Or? Well, I don't know. I mean, this is so far from where the conversation began. I, it <laughs> yeah. may be a, an act of you know, Jack Nicholson improvisation to try and get uh, where, where she would end up with that. But yeah, what I do you know. think? That was really strong. Yeah, tell me what you... I mean, I did a lot of imagination play there, but well, to be honest, not all of it's imagination play. But um, yeah, um, yeah how, did that, how did that strike you? How did that land for you? I don't know, just I I never thought of the whole like you know I was depressed and I was supposed to say something but she is depressed and she wasn't supposed to say something and it was even worse than that because at, around that time when she was depressed like she came to me and and when I was depressed and was like oh, like, it doesn't seem like you love me anymore and, like, right. you don't love me anymore and all of this kind of stuff. And so it wasn't just, like, a no, avoidance of it. Yeah, it Yeah, that's total bullshit. You cannot, yeah, so do that I, with your, you cannot do that with your kids. You cannot ask them to solve adult problems like parental depression. I mean, that's just so beyond horrifying. I mean, I know it happens all too bloody often. But yeah, yeah. So, so, so she was also leaning on you and kind of hoovering you dry, which is exactly why you didn't tell her about what was yeah. going on for you in school, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was blindsided and I was like completely, conf I was really confused and it's like, what the hell is going on here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if it's any consolation, my mom used to tell me all about her dating problems, including the yeah. sexual <laughs> violence that she experienced. And she was telling me this when I was 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. That's oh, gross. it's repulsive. It's repulsive beyond words. 
I mean, things things that cops would be like, oh, no, don't tell me that. <laughs> That's vile. Oof. Like it gets dumped on my shoulders at 11, 12 years old, right? So yep. I, I'm not saying that to make the focus on me. I'm just saying, like, I get it, man. I, I get what was going down, and it was it was bad. It was bad for you. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to get there with her. That's like one of my biggest. Book? I'd like to get there with her, with you know, actually getting her to be honest and and stuff. But I, I've sort of looked down that tunnel, and I'm not so sure I like the outcome. Oh, the odds are very, very small. Yeah, the odds are very, very small. The odds are very, very small. You know, every muscle we strengthen, like every muscle we use, we strengthen, and every muscle we don't use, we weaken. And if she's got, if she's got, I don't know how old you are, if she's got 40 or 50 plus years of not telling the truth, or, you know, 30, if you just want to count adulthood or whatever, the odds of, of honesty emerging from that are incredibly small. And, and, and almost in a way, it's like, it's not her fault anymore doesn't mean she's not responsible for it, but it's almost in a way like it's not her fault anymore. Yeah. Because those are the habits that we, that's the habits that we develop. Yeah, honestly, looking like back right now I, to her childhood and stuff, like I, I don't think she was, had a strong enough character to, but not, not to like, take blame away from her, take responsibility away from her. But I just sort of see kind of like um, the kind of character that I've needed to kind of survive all this. And I just sort of look at her and I'm like, I, I don't see that she had that strength of personality to do it. Well, empirically, she didn't. Whether she could have or not is an unanswerable question. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really, really important thing to remember. Like, it is genuinely an unanswerable question. So mm -hmm. here's the thing. So, like, when it comes to... Uh, I don't mean to sort of jump back to the original question, but, you know, it does seem to be kind of, kind of important, right? Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to figuring out the truth about your mother, you will not get it. Because since she is a manipulator, and it seems to me like it's kind of a, like a liar in a way. Like if your mother's depressed and then she says it's your fault and she blames you and doesn't take ownership, I mean, that is incredible falsification, like incredible lying, appalling lying. And so because she's someone who doesn't tell the truth, and I really got that. I mean, I could really, really tell in the role play that she was somebody who you just, you can't get the truth out of. It's all just, okay, what effect is this going to have? How is this going to position me? How is this going to work for me? How is this going to benefit me? Is this going to cost me? It's all just about her needs and maneuvering and preferences, right? And so there's no commitment to just the truth. Like, I, well, I, I have to take, a, because everything was so automatic. Right, that that could tell that in the role play, everything's just automatic. She's not sitting there saying, "Oof, okay, this is a big, a big truth I'm going to have to tell." She just, you know, when people tell the truth, 
that's big, you know, they pause, man. They they think about it. They they weigh the balance. They're like, ooh, you know. And part of them will be, can I get away with lying? And part of them will be, well, I should tell the truth. And but the truth is going to be costly. And I don't know, right? Whatever, right? And so, because your mom, in the role play at least, was somebody who had no commitment to truth, and you'll notice she didn't even apologize once in the role play. Oh no! Yeah, no. <laughs> right, because and there, there was so much to apologize for, not just the stuff that happened as a child uh, for you and and her, but you know, uh, as you, I specifically said, please don't say it's my fault that you didn't know, and she did it two or three times, and when when I pointed it out as you, never, oh, you know what, you did ask that, I'm so sorry. Yep. So, she's not someone who can admit fault. She's not someone who can be honest and and all of the reactions were automatic and therefore defensive and therefore false. And so the problem oh, is yeah. when you have someone in your life who's not going to tell the truth or who's oh, they might tell the truth but they have no commitment to the truth if that makes sense, right? You ask her what time it is, she'll say it's 2 o'clock when it's 2 o'clock, right? But she's no commitment to the truth. And for that for the most part you need to look slightly towards more men than women. Because men historically have faced more negative consequences for lying than women have. And therefore, we have kind of evolved to have a bit more of a negative view of that, uh, of lying. And again, tons of honest women, tons of dishonest men. I'm just saying a little bit more. You, ha- like, you have to be wary of that kind of stuff with, uh, with women. And so because she's not going to be committed to the truth, you can't trust, at, at least for the, for, for the foreseeable future, my humble opinion, you can't trust what she's going to say. So if she says, and, and also she lied, like, so many times, even in the course of our role play. I mean, there was no commitment to truth. And, and she did, she mirrored what was bothering me about what you were doing earlier, which is contradictions don't matter, right? All she does is hope that you don't notice them and hope that she can get away with them. And when you're dealing with someone who's no commitment to the truth and all they do is hope that they can get away with something, you can never get the truth from them. I mean, for me, this is sort of when I gave up with my mom is that, okay, I like I looked into her eyes when I was having these difficult conversations and all I saw, as I've said before, is this rank-based mammalian calculation of what can I get away with. No commitment to the truth, no commitment to honesty, no commitment to my needs. It was all just about, hmm, well, I think I can get away with saying this. And if I push back, like she would just change course and then she might agree with me for a little bit until it became uncomfortable. Then she'd push back, but she wouldn't be honest. Like just went on round and round. There's no, no solidity, no. And, and listen, you got to listen back to the earlier part of the conversation to recognize just how strange a situation it was that things were changing all around you in our conversation and you weren't acknowledging any of it. And again, this is not some big criticism or anything. That's, that's, that's you when your mom's being criticized. It's you channeling your mom when your mom's being criticized. So for me, it's just like, okay, well, I could ask my mom what happened or why she made the decisions or what, what, what she, you know, what her thought process was at X, Y, and Z time. But for me, at least once I had realized, like, I'm just never getting the truth from this person. Like, I'm never getting the truth. Even if she tells me the truth, it's not the truth because it doesn't come out of a commitment to the truth. It's just, it serves her need to tell the truth in the moment, but that's not really the truth. That's just serving need, if that makes sense. 
So yeah, that, that does. yeah so for me, it was like, okay, so I'm not going to get the truth from this person. So, like, what's the point of of trying to um, of trying to get something that ain't there? You know, you never dig for oil in a sandy beach. You're looking for a there ain't a coup de ville hiding in the bottom of a Cracker Jack box. Like, there's just no, there is no truth there. And, you know, you can have the conversation with your mom. Maybe it'll work well. Um, maybe it'll take a little while. Maybe it won't. But, I mean, if you're into philosophy, then your commitment does, I think, have to be to the truth eh, no matter what, right? Otherwise, it's not really philosophy. It's just, you know, the truth when convenient. But the whole point of philosophy is it ain't the truth when convenient. It's just the truth. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Right. So, um, with regards to this delightfully incomprehensible, yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. For sure. Men and women are delightfully incomprehensible. We fit together very well, but there's aspects in general that are going to just be kind of incomprehensible. You know, um, um, my daughter doesn't mind losing. It bothers me. It bothers me. And the fact that it doesn't bother her as much is like, oh, it's good, you know, good for you, right? It's not me. Now, thinking we have to be the same, that was a big mistake I made earlier in my relationships. Right, yeah. Um, thinking that we have to be the same. We don't have to be the same. In fact, if we are the same, it's not male, female. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, if 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 men and women like the way the way to destroy love is to expect that men and women should be the same because we're not we're not the same. I mean, it would be rankly against the principles of science and evolution to expect men and women who develop with the same capacities because we do different things. I mean, why do men have forty percent extra upper body strength? Because we lifted and we hunted and we fought and we needed that, right? Right? Why do men out of women and children are the only one with deep voices, right? So that we can find the women and children and protect them easily, right? Why do women remain neotenous throughout their childhood and throughout their adulthood? In other words, why do adult females retain so many characteristics of children, right? High voices, hairless faces, hairless bodies, a shorter stature. Uh, why do they retain their hair in the way that children, like children don't usually go bald, but men go bald and women don't in, on average, right? So women retain the characteristics of childhood physically for their lives as a whole. And there's, you know, we're not the same. I don't mean to say that women never grow up. I'm not talking about them just physically, right? They higher voices and hairless and, and uh, shorter and, and smaller and weaker and, and all of that. So all of that is because we evolve for different things. We had to evolve for different things. And then thinking, you know, it's the old weird thing that leftists have with regards to evolution, that evolution hits every single aspect of human life uh, and the human body, except magically from the neck up, nothing has changed. Like it, it, evolution affects every single one of our organs, and yet it doesn't affect our most expensive organ, which is the brain. 
because we know from the neck up there's differences in evolution between the races, between the sexes, and so on, right? But within, somehow, the couple of pounds of wetware that characterize us as humanity, which is our brain, is completely immune from evolution, and it's simply not true. I mean, it's not true logically, not true scientifically, it's not true factually, it's not true experimentally. Women and men have different characteristics. And sitting there thinking when I was younger, because I grew up with all of this radical, weird egalitarianism, the Star Trek fantasy that men and women are completely interchangeable and everyone should just wear some jumpsuit and, and all of that. And um, it was saying, oh, well, you know, my girlfriend is different from me. She has different habits, different um, approaches to the world, different conceptions of things, different ideas. She's the world, she sees the world in a fundamentally different way. I see things and logics. She sees relationships and feelings. And I sit there and say, well, she'd sit there and say, well, you need to be more feeling oriented. And I'd be like, well, you need to be more rational. And it's like, no, we don't. Because we're, diff we're different. I mean, it's like me saying to her, you need to grow a penis. And her saying to me, well, you need to grow a vagina. It's like, well, I'm not gay. You're not a lesbian. So why don't we celebrate the difference? And it used to be, and I had this t-shirt when I was a kid. It was a, I, I'm not saying it's the most appropriate t-shirt, but I had it because, you know, it was not the most appropriate family. But when I was a kid, I had a blue t-shirt with a white drawing on it. And it was a boy and a girl looking down into their underwear. And underneath it said, Viva la difference, right? Celebrate the difference between men and women. And, you know, men are looking at women during the COVID panic and they're saying, my God, you guys are freaking out about everything. Like I saw a video on, Twitter, it's about a 15-second video, and it was a guy biking in the British countryside, middle of nowhere, like down a country lane, farmer's fields everywhere, he's going about, I don't know, 40 miles an hour on his bike, and he blows past this woman, and do you know what she says? You're not social distancing! And then he gives her a few choice words. It's like, we're out in the middle of fucking nowhere, what are you doing? you talking about i'm blowing past you on a bike at 40 miles an hour you're not social distancing you know this this karen meme which is a little racist and, and all of that but you know the, the karen meme that uh just this bossy women and and uh, you know they got that side swipe and haircut and they got to talk to the manager at all times and they're just you know bossy and difficult and abrasive and uh, you know uh, i'm not going to wear a mask because i have a medical reason and because of hipaa i don't have to tell you what my medical reason is and i'm not going to let you take my visas so how are you going to solve my shopping problem you know the uh, you you know bring a, I, I used to get these sometimes when i was a waiter and you'd bring the soup over a little bit might have slopped over the side it's like you have one job which is to bring me the soup without the soup being on the bowl uh, on the plate underneath you can't even do that job and it's just a way of humiliating people it's like a very frustrated you know, women who don't have kids, they end up mothering everyone and nagging everyone, and it's just a mess, right? And so men are looking at the women in the COVID crisis saying, you guys are freaking out. Like, you're going way too far. They're paranoid, right? It's like, yeah, well, look, and you got to understand how women evolve, right? Women evolve to take care of sick people. Because men didn't generally do it. What do women do, right? They take care of babies. They take care of elderly parents. They take care of sick people, you know. It's one of the reasons why you see so many nurses that are female and, and all of that, right? So, men, we're like, yeah, let's roll the dice, right? <laughs> let's, you know, let's roll the dice. But that's because if our wife gets sick, it's not the same relationship as if we get sick. And this is why women nag the men to go to the doctor. And it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. I think I got a checkup before I got married? No, and I get a checkup every year. And men are like, you know, I don't have anything sticking out of my body that shouldn't be there, so I guess I'm fine, right? And you know, like, 
women get concerned about. They get concerned about diet. You know, like some guys got heart issues. You know, I don't know if this is true anymore, but some guys got heart issues and like, you can't eat red meat. And he's like, oh, I really want a steak. She's like, mm, how about the salmon? You know, she can't be direct and say, no, you can't have steak because you're, you know, bad for your heart. You got to have salmon or whatever. She just, or, you know, if the salmon has too much mercury, how about, uh, how about a nice salad with some bread? Oh, no, bread's carby. How about a nice salad with, you know, whatever, right? And it's just natural. And it's, it's a woman taking care of her environment. You know, men build walls and women build hospitals, <laughs> so to speak. Well, I know men build hospitals too, but women staff hospitals uh, a lot of times, right? And you see candy stripers, the people who help out in hospitals, almost all women. I knew that. I saw that when I was going for my cancer treatments. Uh, as, far as, as far as, you know, spiders and, and mice go, right? If there's a wasp in the bathroom, my wife hands me a slipper and says, go to it, big fella, <laughs> right? And I'm like, I'm, it doesn't bother me that much. I go in and smack the wasp, right? And if my daughter sees a spider in her bathroom, she comes and gets me, right? That's fine. I mean, it's fine. It, it's, you know, it's perfectly natural. I mean, this is what Phyllis Schlafly, who was a very powerful woman, she was saying um, before she died, she was saying, uh, yeah, you know, typical thing happened. There was a mouse in the kitchen and the, the men got a broom and the women jumped up on the furniture. <laughs> you know, vive la difference. Celebrate and enjoy the difference. Because if everyone's got to be the same, there's no division of labor and then marriage doesn't work. There has to be a division of labor in a marriage for a marriage to be even remotely efficient. Otherwise, it's like, well, you pay your bills and I'll pay my bills and we'll have this bank account. You'll have that bank account. Then you do your part of the laundry. I'll do my part of the laundry. It sucks. It sucks beyond words. It's terrible. Yeah, and I this mean, is why, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Like, to, to me, though, that's not incomprehensible. Like, people are different. I, I, I no, 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 not people. Now you're back to that. No, men and women. We're talking about men and women here, not people. Where, where are we getting people from? You just took the entire category of your question and my answer and erased it completely. Why? Why would you do that? Well, you can disagree yeah, with know, me, but don't pretend I, I didn't say anything. Did you see what you did, though? It completely reframed your question and my answer. Your question was about men and women. My answer was about men and women. And then you sat there and said to me, but people are different. Completely erasing the entire goddamn topic of our conversation. <laughs> oh, man, I'm still dealing well, with your mom here, aren't I? <laughs> you understand? That's kind of annoying, right? I don't know. Right? Maybe. But no, you are. Like, it's kind of annoying, right? You ask me a question about men and women, I ask, I answer it specifically for 15 minutes about men and women, and then you completely erase the entire category and just start talking about people who are different, which has nothing to do with what I said. Nothing to do with what I said. Okay, well, I was focusing on incomprehensible, that that, that doesn't, it's not incomprehensible to me that there's differences between any number of groups or any number of things, and this includes, obviously, men and women. That's not and what you said, though. Blacks you said and people whites are different. And people no, you, and hang on, everything, hang on. Right? No, no, but you, you said people are different. Now, either you're a terrible listener or you forgot your question or you have some kind of brain injury that doesn't allow you to process information that's been coming at you straight for 15 minutes. And again, I'm not trying to, I'm not picking on you or anything like that. I'm just, you know, you say you lack social skills. <laughs> you say that sometimes people don't want you around. That's not me. I'm enjoying the conversation. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I'm just giving you this kind of feedback. You got to listen, man. You got to listen to people. You know how your mom didn't listen when I was role playing and said, please don't blame me for what happened when I was 10? She just didn't fucking listen at all, right? 
She just went with her own thing. Right? So you call me up and you want to ask about men and women. We talk about it a lot to do with your mom. We talk about it with regards to evolution. We talk about it, or I talk about it with regards to evolution, to dating, to marriage, to you name it, right? Different brains, different characteristics, and illness. And so I'm talking about men and women, right? Yes. And it's really hard to have a conversation. Now, you can disagree with me about the men and women. You can say, no, I don't think men and women are different. You don't. You can say, I disagree with this point or that point didn't make sense or there's arguments or evidence against that point or whatever, right? But you just walked into the conversation like I hadn't said a goddamn thing. I don't agree with that. What do you mean? Like, I don't agree that I walked in without having... No, because you reframed the, I was talking about men and women and you reduced it to the gender neutral term people and saying to me, something is blindingly obvious, hang on, but, but saying to me, something is blindingly obvious and not intelligent as people are different. Do you think I was, you think I was not, (laughs) do you think I was arguing that nobody is different? No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make it seem like I, like I was just giving some answer that's very obvious like i I wasn't trying to just totally i don't know what you you were trying to do hang on now you're talking about intent which is completely unprovable right again you want feedback on social skills i'm trying to give you feedback on social skills i'm one of the i'm one of the great conversationalists on the planet which is why people call me right so i am very good at having conversations and i'm trying to give you some feedback here now you can pull a mom and defend right and say well that's not my intent. But I never said anything about your intent. So pulling intent is trying to create a situation which can't be proven or disproven. What I can prove very objectively, and I mean this with all love and with all care for your future happiness, I really do. I'm really trying to help here. Maybe I'll fail, but I'll try. I'll, I'll try, right? But what I can prove is that after I gave you a very thoughtful and passionate speech about the differences between men and women, you came back to me with people are but people are different. As if I had just said something blindingly obvious and you reframed what I said into something that really is almost the complete opposite of what I was talking about. I never said everyone's the same. I never said there's not overlap, right? I never said people aren't different, whatever that might even mean. Because you need to address what I'm saying, which doesn't mean agreeing with it. But if you come in with a non sequitur after I explain to you, and listen, I had the question, I thought about it, you know, this didn't come out of nowhere. I put work into that. I put work into this whole conversation, a lot of work. This is not easy. If it was, everybody would be doing it, right? So I put a lot of work into this conversation. It doesn't mean you owe me anything, but I'm just, I'm being straight up with you that if I give you a long, passionate speech, which I've thought about for a while, about the differences between men and women, which is why you called me in the first place. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me. But if you pretend I didn't say anything and reframe it to something that's completely the opposite of what I said without even acknowledging that, I don't want to talk to you. And I'm not saying I'm going to stop talking to you now. I'm just saying that that's what people are going to respond with. Because if someone says something to you, you need to sit there, absorb it, listen to it, agree or disagree, or say, I'm going to reframe this into something completely different than what you said, right? Those are all valid responses. Agree, disagree, reframe, but it has to be spoken. 
you have to, you can't just reframe it and go off on some other tangent. Cause then I'm like, what the hell? I just said something and you've completely ignored what I've said. And then if you start pulling stuff about like intent and I didn't mean to, who cares? That's, <laughs> that's why I think I'm talking to your mom. Women care about intent. I don't. Because you can always say, well, I didn't mean to, but that's not what I'm talking about. I don't care what you meant to. I care what you did. You know, okay. if, you, if you drop something of mine that you're supposed to be holding and you say, well, I didn't mean to, it's like, well, it's not really the most important part of the equation. Now it's still broken, right? Yeah. Why did the five-year relationship end? Sorry, I'm non sequituring, but it sounds like a non sequitur. Yeah, that's it's not. A yeah. Why did, of why topic. did the? Uh, no, I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's at all a difference. But uh, I, w I want to acknowledge that I'm wrenching the wheel a little bit here. So, why did the five-year relationship end? Um, because the stress of my illness was too much for her, and she said she didn't love me anymore. Now, those two are not quite the same thing. So someone can love you and find the illness unbearable and say, look, I love you, but I just, I can't have a life where my partner is no energy and, right? It can be with great regret, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. So now if you don't love someone, you certainly won't put up with a chronic illness, right? Absolutely. So, did she love you but didn't like the illness, or did she fall out of love with you and therefore it wasn't worth sticking around for the illness? She told me she fell out of love with me. But I and why think... Did she fall, why did she fall out of love with you? I think it was because the stress was too much and she couldn't take it anymore, and so that's kind of the excuse that she used, or that was her kind of emotional mechanism of of getting her out of the relationship to fall out of love with me because she saw that she was wasting her time, basically. Hmm. Right. Now, the habits that you have with me, you also had in the romantic relationship too, right? Which are... Well, the, uh, fogging the, the fogginess, the, the, um, the reversals without noticing, the not listening, the responding with non sequiturs and so on, right? This is something that you would have also had in that relationship as well, right? Yeah. yeah. In, in which case, if you're cured of chronic fatigue, of chronic fatigue syndrome tomorrow, you're still not going to be able, I think, to have the kind of relationship that you could have if you were more direct and more clear and, and listened better. And that's, I, I stand here wanting to get you to a place where you have a great, great, great relationship. And I, obviously I can't do anything about the chronic fatigue syndrome, although I have my theories, uh, which, you know, we can maybe talk about or not, but... Um, I can at least tell you that you would be a maddening guy to date in the long run. At the moment, it doesn't have to be that way. Right? 
But right now, because you grew up with a parent who didn't listen to you, that's the first thing that you need to work on. Is really, really listen. Really listen. And when someone's telling you something, you have to make sure that you really understand what they're saying before you respond. Otherwise, the response is automatic and usually defensive and usually avoidant. So I gave you a big speech there about men and women, right? Mm -hmm. There was a lot to absorb in that. And again, I'm not saying I'm right about it all. I'm just, these are my thoughts, right? You asked me to explain something and I gave you my thoughts on it, right? Now, there was, yeah. a lot to, there was a lot to understand about that, right? How many, yeah. questions, how many questions did you ask me about what I had said? None. When you and I first began our conversation, and please, I know that this is sensitive stuff. I'm really not trying to say anything negative about you. This is not a criticism. This is just an opportunity, right? So listen, my friend, when we first started talking, for how long did I ask questions? A long time. A long time. Probably the majority of the time, and, and the role-playing was a way of asking questions, which was to try and figure out the maternal influence upon your thinking, right? Yep. So for the first, like we only got about 20 minutes ago to the actual topic, right? So for an hour, hour 20, whatever, an hour and a quarter, all I'm doing is asking questions, right? Did I, did I give you much? Did I give you many conclusions? Did I give you, quote, answers to whatever, right? I was just asking questions, right? Yeah. And you'll notice when you listen to these call-in shows, sometimes it's even longer than that. And you're mm -hmm. a bit of a tricky guy to get to know because if the maternal influence is still very strong, And I just asked a lot, a lot, a lot of questions, right? And then finally, we get to the topic, and I give you like a 10 or 15-minute speech, right? Which is what you had really come to hear. And how many questions did you ask me about what I was saying? None. Right. Do you see the difference? Do you see why you're calling me and I'm not calling you? And you want to be the kind of person that people want to call, right? You want to be the kind of person. So you've got to work on listening. But this is different. This was a, like, to me, this was, this part of it was a debate. And so it, it wasn't necessarily all oh, about being curious and, and asking. Well, well no, I, but to, no, but hang on. Let's say it is a debate. Okay, that's fine. It can be. I, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to it being a debate. But you weren't treating it as a debate. Because what do you do in a debate? You have to understand the other person's perspective and then find ways to argue against it, right? Yeah, and you spent 15 minutes uh, demonstrating your perspective. So, And then what did you come back with? With the people are different. Right. Which has nothing to do with anything I said. That's a complete, you understand, that's a complete straw man, right? I didn't argue I, that people I, I, aren't I, different. I didn't argue, right? It wasn't, the category was not people, which is kind of a meaningless yeah. category, 
you, the category specifically was men and women, right? So you could yes. either say men and women are different, but in ways that are different than what you say, or here's what I disagree with with what you said, or that's perfectly fine. Or, Great. You know, we could both end up the wiser. I could be completely wrong, right? Yeah. Right. So you could say men and women are the same, Steph, you're wrong. You could say men and women are different and you're right. You can say men and women are different in ways that you haven't talked about or ways that you have talked about that are incorrect, right? That's called the debate, right? Okay. Me talking about the differences between men and women and you saying people are different is not a debate. Because you didn't listen to what I said because I never said anything about people. Because if you'd said, hey, Steph, I really want to talk about the fact that people are not different in any way, shape, or form, I wouldn't have taken the call. Right. You understand? Yeah, so what no, you're bringing yeah, to that. that part of the conversation has nothing to do with anything that I said. And so what that does is it means, okay, so I'm talking to you. I'm giving you my heart, mind, and soul about the question that you asked, and you're not even listening. So how much do people want to communicate with you if the impression comes across that you're not listening to what they said and you're just coming in with non-sequiturs that are completely unrelated to the question that you just asked them? And my concern is that you're recreating the stuff that happened when you were a kid when the mean kid said, nobody wants you here, go away, right? What do you mean I'm re recreating that? Because that like was my in, impulse. With my actions? That... Yeah, because when I give you a speech and you come back with a non sequitur that's completely unrelated to what I said, I'm like, well, what's the point of talking to this guy? Why would I want to talk to this guy? He doesn't even listen to what I'm saying. Okay, and I, then I people get withdraw that, that... from you, and they're like, I don't want to have a conversation with this guy. And then it's like, oh, man, I'm still 10, and nobody wants to talk to me. I'm, tr I'm trying to give you that feedback, because most other people won't. They'll just withdraw, right? Right. I mean, obviously, the reframing wasn't the only thing I had to say, and I had more to say about that was like actually directly related to... Now, come on, man. Don't, don't do what that. What do you mean, come on, no, man? No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do don't that. Do, don't do it. <laughs> This is, I'm still role-playing with your mom. I'm still role-playing with your mom. If the first, it, listen, people, people don't have a lot of time in this world, right? So we have to go to some degree on first impressions, right? Yes. Now, I don't think there was anything that I asked about or responded that wasn't related to what, something that you had said, right? Right, okay. And where I did talk about myself, I said, I don't want to make this about myself. I'm just telling you that I understand. When you were talking about how your mom was dumping her depression on you, and I was talking about how my mom would tell me the sexual violence she experienced at the hands of the creepy guys she met through the newspapers, right? So my conversation with you for an hour and a half, or whatever it was, was directly related to things that you said, right? And yep. then I finally give you the answer having gathered enough information to give the answer in a way that I think makes sense. Doesn't mean I'm right. Just think, right. So now the ball was in your court to respond to something that I said. Does that make sense? So before I was responding to yes. stuff that you said, asking you questions, right? Yeah. So then the first, the first, for the first time, the conversation ball goes over to you, right? After I put a lot of work into understanding you and, and role-playing and, and, giving you my statements about men and women and so on, right? So now, 
this is my first impression of you listening to me rather than me listening to you. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's the moment that matters. That's the moment where people decide whether they want to get to know you more or not. Right. And you giving yourself this excuse is like, well, after my completely annoying non sequitur, I had wonderful things to say that were completely related to what <laughs> you understand. Why wouldn't you do that stuff first, since first impressions are so important? Why wouldn't you respond to what I said as if you'd listen? Why would your first response be a clear, screw you, Steph, I'm not listening? Why would you want to annoy me, <laughs> right? In the first time you had to respond to me. Why would you want to do something annoying and then say, well, no, I had other non-annoying stuff to do. Like, it's like a comedian coming out and saying, fuck you to the audience. I think you're all ugly and you shit your pants. Right? And then the audience is like, boo, get off the stage. And you're like, no, no, I've got some great jokes. Still. It'd be like, well, if you've got the great jokes, why are you, com why are you coming out and doing that to begin with? Why not just start with the great jokes so that the audience likes you? <laughs> Did you see what I mean? Yep. And I know you can do it. I, I, wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be working this hard if I didn't think you could do it. I know you can do it. And I want you to not end up with the life that your parents had, which is largely friendless, right? Yeah, I obviously don't want that either. Right. And, and yet you're fighting me to the nail when I'm telling you how to do it. Because your parents don't well, want you, your parents don't want you to have friends. And do you know why? Well, they don't want me to experience that closeness. Right. They don't want you to see the difference. Yeah. And I have a and very they also good don't want and your friends to say they, sorry, they also don't want your friends to say, "Hey, this really nice person that you are, this really engaging person that you are, this really curious and intelligent person that you are, seems to completely vanish when we're around your parents. What's up with that? Oh, that's true. I mean, I notice it myself. Right. So you understand, you asked me a question, and your parents gave me that bullshit response. People are different. Right, yeah. Like that, and I, I separate that from you, right? Which is why I'm not, this is why I keep saying, and I genuinely mean it, I'm not trying to say anything negative about you. You're in there behind your parents wanting contact. And your parents are just <laughs> cock blocking you from social <laughs> intercourse, so to speak. Yeah. Right? And that's, so that's why I'm like fighting really hard so that, you know, when I say that was a bullshit response that you don't sit there and say, well, I gave Steph a bullshit response. It's, no, you didn't. Your parents were just throwing that sand into our conversation so that we couldn't actually have a good debate. Right. And so when you say that wasn't my intention, I completely believe you, which is why I didn't want to debate it. It's not your intention. Your intention was to have a good debate. But your parents' intention is that you and I don't converse. So when you say to me, kind of bewildered, but that wasn't my intention, I get it. You 
don't want to annoy me. <laughs> right? You don't want to give me frustrating <laughs> non sequiturs. You want to have a good conversation. But your parents are coming in and saying, oh, say this. Yeah, so and that you and I don't have a good conversation. Sorry, go ahead. It, well, it kind of felt like I. That's it. Wasn't something I said. Like it kind of felt like that wasn't me. Automatic. Yeah, it was. It was automatic. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. Like I, I have my verbal tics. <laughs> right, right. I'm like a, a slowed down version of uh, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. Right, right, right. And and I also have and er. Right, my 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 producer used to constantly nag me about and er, and I you know and uh, <laughs> I would say that shit all the time. Right. So I have some of my automatic speech, which I have to you know really tamp down and 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 make sure I don't hypnotize people with dissociative speech like that. And so this kind of came out of your mouth. And when I pushed back against it, you, you were like, that, hey, I, that wasn't my intention, right? That was, and I genuinely believe you, which is why I kept on the conversation. If it, genuinely, if it genuinely was innately your intention to not listen and, and come up with non sequiturs that would just F you, I'm not listening, then I wouldn't have the conversation, right? This is why I'm trying to reach past that fog. Because I think if you get this connection, <sighs> this is probably nonsense. I'm going to share it with you anyway. And Please I'll tell it. you this. I'll tell you this straight up. It, it's almost certainly nonsense. <laughs> but I'm going to share it with you anyway. The reason being that I do have some knowledge and some really le lengthy experience with chronic fatigue syndrome. Because that's my mom's story. Epstein-Barr. CFS. I know the whole gamut. It's my mom. That was her story, right? Why is she? Why did she do what she did? Why couldn't she be a parent? Why was she violent? Why was she this? Why? I have chronic fatigue syndrome, she would say. And then one doctor said to her, you know, your tests are all coming back clean. There's nothing physically wrong with you. Maybe uh, it's something psychological. Ooh. <laughs> She made that doctor's life miserable until he died. So I have some emotional history with chronic fatigue syndrome. And again, I'm no doctor. It could be completely 150% valid, in which case this is a completely uh, uh, wrong thing to say. But I'm going to say it anyway, because I've, you know, this, my mom was chronic fatigue stuff was like, more than 30 years ago, and they still haven't found a cause, right? That's why I asked, because I haven't kept track of it, right? That's why I asked at the beginning, if you remember, I said, but they still haven't found a cause for it, right? And you said, well, it could be, nobody really knows, right? Yeah, different in, in each case. All right. Now, what if, listen, I'm, I'm a big believer in what's called somatization. So somatization, of course, is when you get physical manifestations of psychological difficulties. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that this is the case with you. I don't know. And I strongly suspect that it's not, but I just want you to try on a particular possibility, a particular possibility. That when you have dysfunctional parents, puberty is a very, very difficult time. A very, very difficult time because you're going from childhood to adulthood and 
you need to be parented in a whole different way. When you start to become physically, sexually more mature, right? Through puberty. Now, dysfunctional parents really hate puberty because it reminds them that time is passing and it also puts the onus upon them to actually parent, right? So you need to do a lot of parenting when your kids are babies. You need to do a lot of parenting when your kids are toddlers. Then there's the latency period from like five to maybe four or five to like 10 or 11 or whatever, where things just kind of chug along. There's nothing, no big teen storms, no toddler storms, and things just kind of chug along. Now, if you haven't parented well, by the time your kids hit puberty, you're in trouble. You're in serious, serious trouble. And I've said this from the very beginning of the show, that all of peaceful parenting is designed to handle the teen storms. So when your kids hit puberty, if you haven't prepared them, they're going to be incredibly susceptible to peer influences rather than parental influences. Things can go off the rails really quickly and really fast, particularly in the mother-son relationship. Because the son rockets up, gets bigger and stronger than the mother in a matter of months sometimes. And there's a very strong differentiation between the mother and the son because your voice drops, you get facial hair, you know, you get broad shoulders, you get taller. You, like, it's a real, in, in, in a way that the mother and the, and the daughter don't quite differentiate as much. Right? The daughter is growing into the mother. The son is growing away from the mother. And parents who have not been good parents, and it sounds like there was some more neglect on your side than abuse, but neglect is even worse in some ways. So they kind of freak out because you can't postpone things anymore. You know, like we've all had this experience, or at least most of us have. We've all had this experience where it's like a test is coming up, right? <laughs> test is coming up. I had this one of my years of university where I did so much theater. I was in so many plays that I was way behind on my coursework, way behind on my coursework. And I kind of floated along for a while. I loved doing the theater and all this. And, and then I was like, oh my gosh, exams are like 10 days away. And then you freak out, right? You freak out. You can't sleep. and you're good, Right? Now, during the latency period, you can get away with bad parenting. There's not much is that not much is happening. Again, sort of five to eleven, five to ten, five to twelve, four to whatever that that range. But then when the puberty comes, you're like, oh my god, my child is not ready. I've missed the window. It's not prepared. You kind of freak out. And this is where you get a lot of conflicts coming in because the kids are also frustrated because they're kind of panicked, right? Like, imagine the kind of panic you'd have if you suddenly had to fly. Like, you, you fall asleep, you wake up, and you pinch yourself, and it's real, and you're flying an airplane with 50 people in the back. And, and it's storm. It's nighttime. It's JFK Jr. style, Right? Now, assuming you don't know how to fly a plane, that would be pretty freaky, right? And that kind of panic where it's like, I'm not prepared for this situation, happens to parents. So, as a mind exercise, nothing that's true, you understand? Nothing that's true, just as a mind exercise. What has your chronic fatigue syndrome done? Well, it's, it's kept you. Me. Sorry? crippled me right and it's kept you dependent 
and it's kept you almost in a prepubescent state. Yeah. You've not expressed any anger towards your mother. I felt some, but it's... I've sort of put that on hold. What do you mean, for your life, through the course of this conversation? What do you mean? No, like, I've my focus has been trying to get better, and I haven't, like, seen my parents for a year. I... I said that I couldn't see them because it, it was just too exhausting and exhausting yeah right like chronic fatigue yeah in the course of our conversation other than mild irritation and I think some not totally authentic bewilderment you've expressed almost no emotions I felt some just haven't uh <laughs> said all that much about it no no that's why i said expressed i didn't say you didn't feel any emotions i don't know right i I wouldn't i couldn't make that statement right yeah and you know man i was working real hard in that role play to get into your mindset to get into where you were and there's some overlap between your history and mine so it's not you know completely out of the blue but and you know i think that's pretty passionate i know when it this goes out, people are going to be like, that made me cry. Like, that made me so feel so strongly. And that's people who aren't you, and this is your life, right? And again, this is no criticism in any way, shape, or form. But the one thing that happens in the teen storms is that men get, young men get angry. And there's a lot to be angry about. Even if you have the best parents in the world, the world is a pretty fucked up place. There's a lot to be angry about. There's a lot to be angry about. I mean, Jesus Christ, we're all fucking under house arrest because of the Chinese communists, which everyone has been told us is our friend. A lot to be angry about. But you're not very angry. You know, it's it's weird. Like, when I was, like, before puberty and stuff, I had lots of temper tantrums and whatnot. And then after puberty hit, it was just like total, it just gone. And I was just kind of flat and just. Now that's kind of the opposite of what usually happens. Because usually, you know, when the testosterone hits and you shoot up in size and your voice drops and your balls drop, you get angry. Yeah, I know this is kind of the opposite. So why, why not? What was uh, what would happen if you got angry at your mom? I mean, I think you already told me with her bursting into tears or whatever, right? Oh yeah, lots of manipulation, uh, uh, yelling, and she would yell and, at you. Yeah. So why wouldn't you just yell back? I did sometimes. Okay, so you did get angry. As it, yeah. you mean this is after puberty? Uh, not really after puberty. Okay, cause... so why would you get angry after puberty? I'm just noticing this. I was about to say, well, sometimes I did. and I <laughs> Right, of course, because <laughs> you want to fuck me up, right? 
like yeah, my parents did have said, close friends, right? <laughs> yeah, I said like I didn't really get angry, and then well, sometimes I did, and so it's just a bunch of you know, the, and... Do you remember the first thing that I said I needed from you? Um, was precision in the role play or, or precision? No, no, no. no. Was, do you remember it was precision when you said that your parents, you know, they have some close friends, and I was like. I don't know what that means. Right? I said, you know, more than fifty, like more than five, it's usually bullshit, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I said, I need, I need, really need precision, right? And that was a request. So when you said to me, and I don't mean to harp on this, but when you said to me, people are different, that wasn't the first time you hadn't listened to me because I'd asked for precision and I was getting a whole lot of not precision, which I'm still in. And it's great that you caught yourself there trying to give me non-precision. While I did get angry as a teenager, well, sometimes I did. Right now, it's fine. Of course, you can remember, right? You can so the this is you know, social skills, right? So if you say to me, "I didn't get angry as a teenager," and then you remember, you say, "You know what? Let me revise that. I did actually get angry a couple of times. It just popped into my head, right?" Then at least you're saying you're you're changing something. That's fine, right? We remember things, right? We're not we don't want a general Flynn, right? Actually, he right. did remember yeah. things yeah. pretty well too. So it's perfectly fine if you say to me, "I didn't get angry as a teenager," and then you remember you when you you remember getting angry as a teenager, and you can say to me, "You know what?" Ah, I did get angry. Come to think of it, right? Right. right then at yeah. least yeah. You, you, then I'm I'm following the breadcrumbs, right? Of of what's going on for you, right? And that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But if you say to me, "I didn't get angry," and the lady said, "But I did get angry," as if right, then it's just like, what? <laughs> you do you yeah. see what I mean? It's got to be. Yeah. There's got to be continuity, right? Because that's empathy. Continuity is empathy, right? So that you know that I need to understand what you're saying, right? And if I can't follow it, then it's not much of a conversation, right? Yeah. So, uh, so what happened to, be, to you? Sorry to interrupt. What happened to your anger when you were in your teens? I it just left. I don't. I. It was weird. It was. It was like a like a switch just flipped, and I don't. Was that I'm related not, to when you got the chronic fatigue? It was probably related to when my grandfather died and I felt really depressed. And was like being bullied and felt more depressed and Okay, but you understand that when your grandfather dies there's nothing wrong with getting angry. Well, I, I mean like, if he's if he's the... your close contact guy and he dies, I mean you say, Well, it's irrational but to be angry, it's like I don't care. <laughs> I mean, if the emotion's there, the emotion's there, right? I mean, there's nothing yeah, wrong with getting angry about that. It was, it was rational to get angry because um, he just went to hospital one day and then I didn't see him for for the three weeks and he just died. And, like, nobody brought me to see him. Nobody asked right, me if I wanted to see him. He was in hospital for three weeks? Yeah, nobody asked I remember, me. Sorry, if... I remember you mentioning three weeks earlier. I just thought it took him three weeks to die, but he was in hospital and nobody took you to see him while he was in hospital. Three weeks is not yeah. a good length of time to be in the hospital. I've never actually spent a night in a hospital in my life. Yeah, it was a kidney failure or something like that. But So they yeah, knew like... he was in serious trouble? Yes, they did. Holy nobody shit. took me to why see him. Why the hell wouldn't they take you to see him? I don't know. And I don't, like, I don't get why he wasn't like demanding them to... To see, to maybe he did to see me, or maybe, maybe he did. That's the problem. You won't know because if you go and ask, maybe you can ask, right? Maybe you can write, but you may never get the truth. You probably wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I can ask my mom and my grandma, but I don't know. You don't know if you're going to get the truth. Yeah. Shit, man, I'm so sorry. That is fucked. 
Yeah, and like I didn't realize that until like a year or two ago, right? Like I'm, I was just yeah. in this fog. These of... obvious questions, right? These obvious questions. Yeah. It just takes one obvious question to start this. I remember mine clearly. It doesn't really matter now, but yeah, I remember one question. I'm like, okay, this is the the big rabbit hole. Maybe this can take me the next couple of decades to sort out. Um. <laughs> so, what if there is an emotional component to battling chronic fatigue? In other words, what if anger will help you or help rouse your body in this thing? Like what if that's the birthright that's been taken? Sorry, go ahead. I know I should be angry and I do feel some anger, but at the same time, like I'm in such a precarious situation that like I basically have one friend who's supporting me and then the only other person who, who people who would support me like financially would be my parents. And so if I just get really angry and just then, then that's gone. And then I wait, 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 sorry. I don't get the connection between you getting privately angry and losing your financial support from your friend. I'm not saying not my friend, friend. but my parents. It's not his fault, right? Like I'm talking about my parents, not my friend. Oh, your parents are still supporting you financially. No, but if I like if something were to happen to my friend or something like that, lost her job or whatever, then I would need some support. And then the only person, people who would give me that is my parents. I'm sorry, I'm still trying, I'm still missing this. Who's paying your bills at the moment? Well, I'm on disability, but there's like I need, do need a little bit of help. And so my best friend is supporting with that. He gives you money every month? Yeah, she, uh, she um, like, I just pay a bit less for rent and, and that kind of stuff. But the disability's not going anywhere in the foreseeable future, is it? No. So I'm still not sure why you, why you can't get angry. And I'm not saying go scream at your parents or scream at your friend, or I, I'm just allow yourself to experience the emotion of, of anger. Like you can do that in, in private. You can do that by journaling. You can do that in a therapist's office. You can like, there's tons of places where you can experience and express that without in a sense, anybody knowing directly. Right. Yeah. John Gray has workbooks. Uh, Nathaniel Brandon has great sentence completion workbooks that I, I think are, are quite helpful. Like there's lots of things that you can do. How old are you? I'm uh, 24. Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, not, not the worst time in the world to really try and change things, right? Because, you know, I mean, if, if nothing changes, like, where are you going to be in 10 years, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's... I've thought long and hard about that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. So, when... when let. Uh, Assuming, and I, I'm going to go, obviously, assuming that the, the, the chronic fatigue syndrome is 100% biological, physical, there's no way to manage it because there's no cure, right? There's no, there's no treatment as far as I know. Well, there's something that I can try that, I've, that I, I am trying at the moment, but otherwise I've pretty much gone through every avenue that I possibly can. Right, right. So then, if you do have something that is chronic, 
there's really not much you can do other than work on your own emotional relationship to things, right? Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. So you have a lot to be angry about even outside. I mean, this is a hell of a thing. It's a hell of an ailment to have, right? Yeah. Because there's sometimes where it's like, can the, can the bus just take me out? Because this dragging yourself around shit is, is hell, right? Yep, I felt that a lot. Right, right. Like, what's the point of another day? If I, I mean, I get all of that stuff. I really do. I really do. And how are you going to handle such a heavy burden? Well, you got a lot to be angry about. You were bullied, you were ignored, you were neglected. You weren't taught how to socialize, you weren't taught how to grow up, and you got this ailment. But that's a lot to be angry about. But I think you have a disaster scenario about getting angry, because I said, why not get angry? And you're like, because I don't want to live on the streets. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a couple of dominoes that were missing from that sequence, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to not see your parents. It's another thing to confront your parents. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like you got to turn and face the beast. Like running from the beast, you're just exhausting. You got to turn and face the beast because the parents who are in your head are your friends. The parents who are outside, I'm not sure about that, but the parents, your inner parents are your friends. They're trying to help you. They're trying to protect you. And yet, I think that, like, okay, so why am I able to parent without turning into my mother? Because I've turned and faced the beast, faced her down. And if I, all I did was not see her, that wouldn't be enough. You know, like, uh, so to give you an example, right? So when you're a little kid, like most little kids, you're afraid of dogs, right? I remember being at a friend of my mom's, in my friend of my mom's backyard. I went for a walk in the woods there and this giant Great Dane, taller than I was. I must have been like six or seven years old. Why the hell I was wandering in the woods alone? I have no idea. And this Great Dane was towering over me and drooling and slavering and growling and I was frozen up against a tree. I thought this could be it, man. This thing could just tear me apart. And it probably could have, right? And uh, it just stood over me for a long time. And then eventually it just snuffed and shuffled off, right? I couldn't have taken on that Great Dane. Now, another time, my late father and I, when I was in my teens, I went to visit him in South Africa for a, a summer. And we were coming out of a hike and in Africa, South Africa, there are lots of problems with, with dogs, right? With, with wild dogs. And they were swarming us. And my dad was just kicking the dogs, like hoofing them left and right. And I was thinking about the difference between me being scared of dogs, my dad kicking dogs. You know, of course, they weren't Great Danes or anything, but it's sort of like if you're in a tent in the middle of the woods at night and you're alone and you think you hear a bear stuffling around your tent, you're not going to get any sleep. Now, if you get out of the tent and you get your flashlight out and you look around and there's no bear, then you'll probably feel better, right? Okay, it was just the trees or the wind or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Now, you're in the tent 
but you got to get out and look around. Like in, in a sense, like, so it's one thing to not see your parents, but it's like not being able to see the bear. It doesn't mean that you're relaxed, right? You have to go and find out and, and your inner alter egos will calm down when they know that they're safe. Right. In other words, you won't need your inner mom and dad to protect you from your mom and dad if they get that you're safe. Like it's one thing to still be afraid of, of the bear when you're in the woods. You know, when you're home in your locked house, you could relax about the bear, right? Because you, now you're safe, right? And I think that what you have probably done is you've separated or taken distance from your parents, but you haven't turned and confronted the the anger, the loneliness, the frustration, the fear, and the loss. My God, man, I mean, someone could have helped you with this bullying. And in fact, the only reason you were bullied was because of your distance from your parents. Yeah, I know that now. You know that, right? I mean, yeah. I guess. yeah. But so not only did they not help you, but they actually they invited, in a sense, these, these beasts into your life by yeah. not giving you the social skills you need to be able to manage that kind of stuff, right? Because that's the sad thing about bullying is that for the most part, you can deal with it nonviolently and, and in a positive way, right? I mean, I, okay. in my first programming job, I had this boss, so funny to think so long ago now, he's probably, I know, may, may, may not have retired. But anyway, I had this boss who terrified everyone. And he'd constantly come in and demand if things were done, right? And this is like my first two weeks there or something like that, right? He would just come in and say, is this thing done yet? And I remember his name. Jim was Jim. And I was originally kind of nervous. And then I thought, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to live like this. I'm not going to live like this. I had that as a child. I had that in boarding school. I am not going to live like this. So he came in. It's like, is this done yet? And I said, Jim. I've only been here a week and a half. I know exactly where your office is. Here's my commitment to you, Jim. I absolutely promise you, the moment it's done, I will walk straight down that hallway. I will not turn left. I will not turn right. I will not go to the bathroom. I will not go and collect $200 from the go. I will come straight to your office and tell you that it's done. You'll be the first person I tell, so you don't have to keep coming in here and asking me. And he kind of goggle-eyed me, and then he laughed uproariously, to his great credit. And he said, all right. He turned around and pretended to yell to his secretary, call out that document, fire.doc, or some fire.doc, or something like that. They made a joke about that, right? And after that, we got along pretty well. He invited me out of poker nights and stuff like that. But it's not too hard if, it's not, if you're not dealing with a total sociopath, right? It's not too hard to deal with these kinds of things, but you were just left to twist in the wind, and there was nothing you could do. Literally nothing you could do. And I, you know, I mean this with all deep, massive sympathy, but it's so unnecessary. You make a bully laugh and they'll be your friend. Often. Or at least they won't keep screwing with you, right? Yeah. And I'm sorry for those years and years. Terribly sorry for those years and years where you had to suffer through this when your fucking parents could have solved it with you in an hour or two if they just rouse themselves to do some goddamn parenting. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for all of that. That is, 
a wretched, wretched loss because you're never going to be able to go back and be 12 and do it. There's no mulligan for that, right? There's no yeah, do-over definitely not. You never get the childhood back that you could have. Never, ever, 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 ever. But I think you're still hiding out to some degree in the time just before puberty. So you mean hiding out? Yeah. I think so, because I think... Oh, like, oh, sorry, like being back there. Yeah, I think, I think, I think to some degree, I think to some degree, with all due sensitivity to your ailment, right, which is significant, but I think that to some degree you're hiding out right before puberty because you're kind of stuck there, right? Because you can't get your adult life started. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I did a podcast like 12 years ago called The Joy of Anger. How important and essential anger is. You know, because pe- I, I see these comments on people on my debates like, well, Steph, you got angry, therefore you lost. It's like, nope. You might have that relationship with anger, but I don't. Right. And I think anger is uh, anger is the way forward. You've got a lot to be angry about. And denying that anger is denying progress, I think. Yeah. I mean, some sometimes I'll feel angry and then just feels like the next day it's just totally evaporated and I'm just well okay just but what's the feeling right the before, before what is the feeling that right before it evaporates like well, what is the thought I guess because I'll tell you why depressed what depressed people say about anger and why it doesn't help them I'm not saying you're depressed I'm just saying what depressed oh, I people am. say <laughs> okay I don't want to tell you that to you because I'm like I'm, if you say it that's I, I'll certainly listen to that but I'm no, I'm not going to diagnose anyone all right but here's the thing man what depressed people say about anger is the three words that gets them stuck and keeps them stuck the three words that people say who are depressed about anger is what's the point What's the point of being angry? What's it going to change? It's kind of like if you are trying to lift something that's just way too heavy. You know, you can lift a couch. You can't lift a truck, right? So you sit there and try and lift the truck. You just look, you look ridiculous, right? Like you can't lift the truck. What's the point? can't do it. it it won't affect any change it won't mean anything it won't nothing will alter it doesn't empower me it just reminds me of how helpless and powerless i am what good does anger do me it doesn't change anything what's the point and i don't know if that's your experience it's just what i've seen with people who are depressed about their relationship to anger yeah that 
I think that does have a ring of truth to it for me. I think part of it is also that it feels like I don't have the energy to like confront my parents or whatever. So that being angry now is like not really productive because it's not going to get me to actually do anything about it. But you don't have to confront your parents in the flesh. Okay. Right? Because the parents who are your trouble are your inner parents. Right. You know, like your parents aren't dead, but you know the thing. Like you still have to confront your you still have to confront your parents if their problems even if they're dead, right? Yeah. Because they're haunting you, right? So the fact that they're you haven't seen them for a year doesn't mean that they, you know, magically don't have any influence, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like saying my, my sunburn goes away because I'm now in the shade. It's like, nope. <laughs> still there. Still cooking away. So you can get angry, but if you feel that your anger can only be expressed if you're yelling at your parents or whatever, then you're, you're basically saying to your anger, you have no utility to me. And that the only issue is that my physical parents who are now distant from me that that's the only issue that you have to deal with, but that's basically telling your anger that it can't do any good because you're not going to go and confront your parents, I assume, right now, and therefore your anger can't do any good, but your anger is absolutely essential because your anger signals to your inner parents that you're safe because now you're allowed to do something that you couldn't do before, which is to get angry. You understand? Your anger right. signals to your inner parents that you're in a safe place and things have changed. Because you could get angry at your parents because your mom would cry or she'd yell or your dad would cuck and he would decide with your mom and you'd just get, yep. well, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, I get that. I get that. I mean, the woman cries because it works, right? Tears dissolve yeah. balls is the oldest equation between the sexes, right? Yeah. So anger says to your inner parents, you can sit the fuck down now. Thank you so much for your service. You guys were magnificent. You kept me going. But you got you guys got to take a break. This night watchman shit, it's exhausting. It's just debilitating all of us. We got no energy for anything else. So you have to have something has to change. Something has to change in your mind to signal to your unconscious that 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 you're no longer in the same situation. Now, when you were a kid, you couldn't get angry particularly, as you said, after your puberty, after puberty, where you can't get angry. But now if you get angry, you're saying, I'm no longer a child. I have independence. I have space. I'm an adult. Right. And so you're your parents are still controlling you by not letting you get angry, if that makes sense. But if you get angry, that will release the energy of your inner parents into something more productive. Well, something productive, counterproductive. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. What? Um, I'm just trying to think because, like, one of the only times that I got angry after puberty was at one point i think i was 16 or 17 or something i'd been doing martial arts for a little while 
and my brother, my brother pretty much bullying me my entire childhood. Which oh yeah, was sorry, you did. Horrible. I didn't even ask about your siblings. I apologize because remember you said children with your parents earlier. So I'm sorry I didn't dip into that. But you, older brother? Yeah, older brother, five years older, and he like bullied and manipulated me pretty much my whole childhood, and was like resentful of me for some saying that I got more or something, and I have no idea where he like got that idea. Right? Yeah, it was like holy crap. The 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 one person who should be able to go through the whole life journey with you yeah and, and uh, at least at least 50 percent uh, statistically at least 50 percent of sibling relationships are outright abusive at least 50 percent it's madness yeah i still have anyway, like so. mental scars from him something else to be angry about yeah i i felt angry a couple months ago i was, felt really angry about it because I just, I more felt angry and sad that I didn't have the kind of brother who could have helped me through things, but I had the brother who kept me down and kicked me down. Yeah, yeah. And you could have been allies, right? Yeah, yeah, we could have been allies. You could have taught each could, other. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. Um, so the experience with anger, one of like the only ones was when he was kind of still like uh, kind of bullying me and really annoying me. And I just, I got this kind of anger just welling up through me and i like i was like if you don't stop i'm gonna break your knee and then like and like it was completely serious and the thing that scared me like i was scared about it because i was not like lying like it was a possibility that if he didn't stop i would legitimately like go ahead and break his knee and that's like a serious thing to do that's like disabling for life right and so after that, he basically kind of stopped any of that kind of stuff. See, anger. I know, anger right? Helped. <laughs> anger helped. And, uh, and of course, he couldn't do it without your parents' permission, right? Oh, no, absolutely not. And they'd, they'd you know, have talkings to him with, talking to's with him and stuff like that. And I'd be there and I'd be looking over my mom's shoulder or whatever. And he'd just like look at me and give me these kind of looks like, Oh, and this isn't changing anything. While he was kind of being like, "Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, yeah, I understand what you mean, mom." And then did like shoot me these looks of just kind of pure malice. It was like, "Oh my goodness!" Right. Yeah. So I think that's your big example of uh, the, the 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 value of anger. But see, there, that was physical, right? So I'm trying to sort of... No, but see, think. I mean, the physical with your parents, I mean, I've talked before about the violent thoughts I had towards my mother. Right? That's... Um, you can, you know, that's the whole point of imagination is you can imagine these things and that way you don't do them, right? You, you do one way <laughs> yeah. or another, right? Oh no, I had I had thoughts of extraordinary violence. I still remember. I was in uh, it was in 1999. I was uh, long before I was uh, any kind of public figure. I was sitting in the back of a cab in Morocco, traveling for Y2K with a friend of mine. Uh, we wanted to do Y2K in some cool place, and we had uh, we went to Morocco for a while. And 
I remember just, yeah, being half asleep in the back of a cab, just having the most extraordinarily violent fantasies towards my mother. I was never, I've never hit anyone in my life, right? So I was never really thinking, oh my God, I'm going to go out, right? But this was, um, uh, this was the, um, the signal to my unconscious that uh, I was safe, was that I could deal with the pent-up anger towards having been physically, having physical violence enacted upon me for 15 years straight. Yeah, you're going to get angry. And it's a bloody healthy thing. You know, if, if you were, if you were tortured by some sadistic jailer for a decade, people would, underst- would, would, would understand if you wanted to kill him, right? Yeah. I think I said that sometimes in my childhood, like, wanted him dead or wanted to kill him or something like that. Yeah. And that is a sane and healthy reaction. Don't go kill anyone. Obviously, I have to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. right? This is for other people, right? <laughs> this is. Uh, um, but but having those feelings is very important, and and accepting those feelings is very important because you can only have those feelings when you're safe. And so, if you avoid those feelings, you're avoiding the feeling of safety that allows you to progress in your life and be different. If I had not experienced and accepted my feelings of violence towards my mother, I would not be a peaceful father. That's what I mean by turning and confronting the demon. The demon is partly yourself as well. It's saying, listen, I can have crazy amounts of rage within me. It doesn't make me crazy, and it doesn't make me violent, and I accept that. And then it's like, it calms down. I think, yeah, I think part of me is still in that childhood, like rage means temper tantrums. It means like smashing doors and it means right, like violence, basically. Right, 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 right. Now, anger is a form of self-protection and anger directed at its proper object is healthy in the same way, like what do they call it as a sort of st- uh, a storm? in your body when, when you've got COVID and, and your, your immune system is overreacting and just uh, going wild. Cytokine storm. Cytokine storm. I couldn't, I was thinking, tonic? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not, I know it's not, I know it's not tectonic, but it's something like that. Yeah. So, so that's when your immune system is going too, too wild, right? Or too harsh, right? Yeah. And so that's, you know, an excess of anger, right? It's the Aristotelian mean. A deficiency of anger is bad, an excess of anger is, but all the anger that occurs within your mind, within your thoughts, it's not. Um, it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle to think, think about <laughs> being angry or or hurting someone, right? right. To, to think about punching someone is not a violation of the non-aggression principle, because <laughs> thoughts aren't magic; they're not ghosts. They don't go out and do things while you sleep, right? And saying, I'm not afraid of my own capacity for anger, my own capacity to do damage, my own capacity for violence. I'm not afraid of it. Really important. 
happened. You don't act it, of course. You don't act it out, right? I, mean, I think it's the people who repress it the most who end up acting it out, but you accept your own capacity and anger and all of that, and you don't be frightened. Don't be frightened by the emotions that are within you. Accept them. Accept them. Because the only alternative to say that emotions are like demonic possession and you've got to constantly be on guard against yourself and then you just become neutered, castrated in life. You know, if I feel angry in a debate, I'm angry in a debate. Oh, no, this means I've lost. I've been... No, I'm just angry in a debate. You know, earlier, I'll give you an example, right? So earlier, when I got annoyed at your response to my speech about men and women, I, that, was that destructive? No. No. I think it was helpful. When I got annoyed about the vagueness or I got annoyed about um, when you, you flipped around a bit and weren't acknowledging it and so on, it's not destructive. I wasn't calling you names. I, was, you know, I mean, it wasn't destructive, but it was important for me to navigate the, the, the challenges of the conversation with the feelings. And you've heard me a million times if I get annoyed at someone, like I'm joking two minutes later, right? Yeah. And, and we're, we're still in the conversation despite all of the storms of emotion that... I've gone through, so to speak, in the conversation, right? We, we, this isn't like, we're not like running in opposite directions, right? Yeah, and, and that I've gone through as well. Right, yeah, and I, I, I know you have, right? I know you have, right? So we've had our passions in this conversation. Uh, you've been annoyed at me. I know that. I mean, you haven't expressed yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've been annoyed at me, and, and that's fine, right? I, and I've been annoyed at you. So what? It's not destructive. Because our option is to either say, yeah, we're annoyed at each other, or to pretend that we're not, and then we don't have any connection. Right, yeah. And I know that you want to get your life started, and I know how incredibly frustrating. You know, for those who don't have chronic ailments, like the amount of mind space it takes to just manage, oh, do I feel stronger? Do I feel better? Do I feel worse? How is it going to be tomorrow? How was it yesterday? Is this cure going to work? Like the amount of cycles it takes up in your brain to manage a chronic condition is something that is almost impossible to understand if you've never gone through it. Yeah. It's like your whole life is a fucking condition, right? Or thinking about it or wondering if it's going to get better or, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it's always there. It sucks. And um, the opposite is anger. And I don't know. I don't know that there's any other alternative. And it's the anger that is internal. It's the anger you can write down. It's the anger you can think about. It's the anger you can yell into a pillow. It's the anger you can take to a therapist. There's lots of things you can do about that. But I think that's the dam buster. I think that's what gets the, your life going forward. I think it signals that you're safe. And I know it seems contradictory. That which scares you the most is the one that <laughs> makes you feel safe. But... You understand? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the somebody who's in a concentration camp, they can't feel angry at the guards because they can't even show it in their eyes. But later they can feel angry, and it's the anger that lets you know that you're safe. Will you, I mean, maybe think about if you have a disability, maybe you can get some help for a therapist or something like that. might not be the worst thing in the world uh, to, to work on. Um, but at least, you know, at least there's some you can get these 
books online or, or Kindle or maybe the library or whatever, you can get these workbooks that can really be helpful with this kind of stuff. But that would be my strong suggestion, man. You, you've got a lot of, I mean, you are a very smart young man and you are very passionate about things. I mean, I know it's a little odd for people who are hearing some, a little bit of the monotone. I can, I can hear it. Like I, I've got some experience in this area. <laughs> you have so much to offer the world. It's ridiculous. Okay. And yeah. I just hate seeing you stuck back in a time that's long gone that you can't save anyway. I hate it too. Yeah. Come, come join us, man. We, you know, the kids, the assholes, kids in your past may not have wanted you to be part of the conversation, but I desperately want you to be part of the world's conversation, which is why what we, oh my God, we're cooking on three hours here, right? This is why <laughs> yeah. I'm spending the time here because you have a ridiculous amount of great things to offer the world. And you're worth it. 150%. Thank you for that. Will you keep me posted about how things are going? I, do, I will, yeah. All right. How are you feeling now? Um... Emotional. <laughs> Good, bad, middle. Yeah. I feel like there's something I can work towards and and take steps. And um, I, I I have been avoiding my anger. I know that. Right. I've been, you know, trying to make sure it it, it is. Well, not make sure, but I, I've been trying to listen to my emotions, but I think I, I've still definitely been suppressing a lot. Right, right. And you know what it is? So the last night that I was out in the wilderness when I was doing my gold panning and prospecting, a friend of mine and I were out. We had to go and get one last sample. And the plane was coming at nine o'clock the next morning, which meant we would have had to get up at like 5.30 in the morning in the bitter cold and go out just as dawn was breaking to go and get this last sample. This was like in the winter. It was like crazy cold, like minus 20, minus 25, could be even worse, right? And we were like, you know, when you, when you wake up in a, we were in a prospector's tent, which is like a big canvas hut. When you wake up in a prospector's tent and you're in a big, warm cocoon of a, sleeping bag you really don't want to get up and get out and go and do these get this last sample so we were like fuck it we're just gonna, we're gonna push on we're gonna get this stupid last sample even though night is falling and when night falls out there man like, like you're way north it falls like a brick it's like closing your eyes and we went out we got the last sample and we were lost now that's a bad situation to be in that's a very bad situation to be in because you need the heat at night. And it became so dark. I mean, again, it didn't make any difference whether your eyes were open or closed. And we had to kind of feel our way through the trees. We were in snowshoes carrying heavy equipment. It was hard work. And all we needed to do was to get to the lake. Once we got to the lake, we knew we had to head in a particular direction and our hut was on the edge of a lake. Dumas Lake, it was called, if I remember rightly. And 
there was no moon, cloudy, no stars. And we were just waiting for a break in the clouds, something, right? We didn't know which way to go. I'm not saying we would have died, but it would have been one bloody uncomfortable night, to put it mildly, because you just lose heat over time, right? And we didn't have a heat source with us. Now, God bless this man. He's now dead. But he hung a lamp over the front of our tent. And, of course, you just, you know, human, the human eye can see a lit match 50 miles away on a clear night, mountain to mountain. Our eyes are incredible for that. And we did finally make our way to the lake, but we didn't know which way to go. And we went round a corner, and the light was right there. Now, before we saw the light, we were in despair. Because once you've got a destination, you can get your ass moving. But if you don't know where to go, you just feel despair. And despair is the uncomfortable experience or feeling that drives us to get a goal. And it almost doesn't matter what the goal is. Just have a goal and get moving. And if you need to change course, an object that stays in motion tends to stay in motion. An object that remains at rest, that is at rest, tends to remain at rest. And I know this is like my little catcher in the rye story, right? But I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to put a light on the tent. But that's it. Here's a light. For you, embrace your anger. Other people, could be any number of things. Because you're kind of in the dark, and you don't have a goal. And I'm saying, here's a light. I think it's going to lead you to a great place. Let's say it doesn't lead you exactly where you want to be. At least you're in motion. At least you've got something to work towards, something to get up for, something to work on. And that's going to lead you exactly home. That's going to lead you to the warmth and the safety and security of whatever abode you're going to claim as your own in this life. It doesn't matter. Where you hang the light. It doesn't even matter what the light represents. It matters that there's a light that you can move towards. That's why I don't expect perfection in these conversations. It's just enough to know that you have something that you can move towards, that you can work towards. That is going to strengthen you no matter where you end up. Because the alternative is just to freeze your ass off in a dark that could be without end. So that's just the last message I wanted to get across. All right, brother. All right. Thank you. Thank you for a great call. Keep me posted. And I really, really do appreciate enormously the conversation, man. Thank you. I will. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.